there, and welcome to Movies, Pick 6 Movies. It's a globe-trotting podcast that spans the entire geography of cinema to find six movies, all built around a common theme. According to this message, due to explode in 45 seconds, this is Season 13, Bonds, James Bonds, in which I, Bo Ransdell, and my best oldest friend Chad Cooper have gone on an impossible mission to watch a sextet of sexy James Bond movies, featuring each and every actor who has ever played the role of James Bond, and there is no way this statement will ever not be true. So what we do here in our clandestine cabal of movie mishaps is deliver a dossier of information to you on the movie, and so much more, and that's before we ever get around to a careful dissection of the movie, done as professionally as one can, while also doing, I don't know, some sort of Dick Van Dyke chimney sweep impression, I think? We believe this blend of the silly and sublime will seduce you with its roguish charm and ample intake of booze. But don't take my word for it, there's a whole season finale waiting for us. It's the last episode of season 13, and all I have to do to light the fuse on it is say these four simple words. Take it away, Chad. Hey, before we jump into the intro, I just want to take some time to thank our intern, Alice, this season, who has worked so diligently producing and researching all the episodes. Alice, from everyone on the staff at Pick 6 Movies, thank you, thank you, thank you. I also, I like your Michigan State face mask, safety first, with a flare of school pride, two thumbs up. I wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite James Bond movie now? Casino Royale? Niven or Craig? Craig. What are you studying in school? Computer engineering. That explains why I have this mystery cylinder here in the recording studio with me. So what is this? The pick six bot. So when you say an, like an AI voice activated response system, what is that? Is it like, like a, like Alexa or okay, Google. What information did you feed into the AI? All of our past episodes? Well, if your goal is artificial intelligence, then you've probably done the trick. You included some other audio files? Well, that's good as well. I was a little concerned that this might be a real Victor Frankenstein abomination of technology, but oh, okay. What's the wake-up phrase? Just pick six bot? Okay. Can I try it? Pick six bot. What's the best episode of the Pick Six Movies podcast? The most popular episode by downloads is Fifty Shades of Grey, Season 6, Episode 1. The least popular episode is Sharky's Machine, because who wants to spend two hours listening to Human Number 1 and Human Number 2 discuss that Bird Reynolds train wreck of a movie? Wow, Pick 6 Butt's got a little snarky side. Well, you know, Alice, you're right. Listening to Bo and me for 13 seasons will certainly have that kind of impact on you. Touche. Well, great work again, Alice. You are clearly smarter than either Bo or myself or, heck, anybody else on staff. And it has been a pleasure working with you this semester um, on this particular season. This is the final episode of this season's theme, Bonds, James Bonds. And Pick 6 Bot, we are going to be talking about the music used in these movies. Music used in movies. Begin simulation. Oh my god. Pick 6 Bot will provide you with 20 audio clips, each lasting approximately 1.5 seconds in length. You will attempt to recognize from which movie this audio file originated. Body temperature and pulse rate will be monitored to determine your success rate. Begin simulation in 3, 2, 1.
Congratulations human number 2, you successfully identified 16 of 20 clips, end simulation. You know what? <laughs> that, that's pretty impressive, but... You know, Pick 6 Bot, you only played 19 clips and not 20 as promised, because I don't want to toot my own horn, but I'm pretty good at counting to 20. Oh, you caught that? Congratulations, human number two. I am surprised you can even count to 20 based on all available data. Well, I get that a lot. Would you like to hear the final audio file? Yes, please. Oh, I know that one. That's the James Bond theme by John Barry. Human number two, your answer is incorrect. The James Bond theme was written by Monty Norman. You should read the episode introductions before you record them. Who do you think you are? Marlon Brando in that remake of The Island of Dr. Morrow? I can't argue with that, Pixix bot. You know, let's just see what's in the introduction. John Barry is the name most associated with the music of the James Bond films. However, as Pick Six Bot just pointed out, Barry was not the one behind the iconic James Bond theme. That notable writing credit goes to Monty Norman. Norman was hired to pin the music for the first James Bond film, Dr. No, and he did so. And the producers of the movie, well, they didn't really care for what he wrote, so they brought in John Barry to give it a little spit shine. Barry ultimately claimed he only retained a couple of bars of music from Norman's original work and essentially Barry said he rewrote the whole James Bond theme. As the popularity of the James Bond film series exploded, Norman disagreed with Barry's claim to being the genius behind the memorable Bond theme, mostly because a whole lot of money was at stake when it came to who wrote what. And when big money's on the table, we usually end up in one place, court, where the courts ruled that Norman was the one who wrote the theme and it was Barry who arranged the music into the legendary movie theme you and I know today. Now over the years, the James Bond theme was continually rearranged and it was adapted to the tone of the film or to match the contemporary taste of audiences at the time of the film's release. The electric guitar version of the 007 theme is most notably associated with the original Sean Connery James Bond films, but this version does make an appearance here and there in the movie starring Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan. John Barry went on to contribute music for 13 James Bond films, and for each 007 outing, Barry orchestrated a new version of the theme for the opening walk, turn, shoot, gun barrel sequence. Barry would draw on influences from the style of the film, the locations of the movie, and even the actor playing James Bond, all as inspiration for his musical arrangements. Throughout the early Connery films, the James Bond theme was used as background music when 007 entered a room or he sneaked around doing spy stuff, but it wasn't until Goldfinger that Barry leaned into using the James Bond theme as the cue for an action sequence, which has remained in the series to this day. It was also Goldfinger that introduced another signature musical mainstay, the James Bond theme song that would accompany the signature female silhouette opening credits and oftentimes make its way beyond the cinemas and into the high ranks of pop music charts worldwide. The first iconic James Bond opening credit song was, of course, Goldfinger, as sung by Shirley Bassey, and that song was written by John Barry. Now, reportedly, Barry asked lyricist Leslie Brickus and Anthony Newley to come in and do their lyrical thing. And when Barry played the first three notes of Goldfinger, Brickus and Newley immediately sang out, Wider than a mile, 
Because let's be honest, Goldfinger does sound a whole lot like Moon River, which was the popular theme from Breakfast at Tiffany's, a movie that had come out a couple of years earlier. Now, needless to say, John Barry did not find this to be too funny. The song Goldfinger turned out to be very successful in its own right, and it gave Shirley Bassey her only Billboard Top 40 hit, reaching the number eight spot in the U.S. and the number 21 spot over in the U.K. And with Goldfinger, the world of James Bond opening credit theme songs really took on a life of their own pulling in some of the most talented singers and songwriters over the last 50 years to create music for the James Bond films spanning generations and genres. Music used in opening credits for James Bond movies. Begin simulation. Pick six spot will provide you with 20 audio clips each lasting approximately 1.5 seconds in length. You will attempt to recognize the human singing in each audio file. Wait, am I supposed to guess the, the names of the people singing each song? Did I stutter human number two? Do you have corn cobs in your ears? Begin simulation in three, two, one. How did I do, Pick Six Bot? You're an embarrassment to your species, human number two. If I had legs, I would walk out of this room after giving you a swift kick in the ass. Oh. Pick Six Bot recommends you seek help from a mental health expert. Aww, you really remind me of my mom when you say things like that. Please continue reading the introduction. TikTok, Pick Six Bot has places to go, robots to see. Changing music bed in three, two, one. When it comes to the opening credit songs of James Bond movies, we gotta start at the beginning with Dr. No, which used the original James Bond theme written by Monty Norman and orchestrated by John Barry. Now, the second James Bond movie from Russia with Love, Barry stuck around as the composer and he solicited help from a cabaret singer named Matt Monroe who came in to sing the theme song. Now, in this Bond film, you don't get to hear Monroe singing the theme song as the opening credits unfold, but if you listen closely, you'll hear him singing as the song plays on a radio during the film. Now, as mentioned earlier, Shirley Bassey's Goldfinger set the standards for what to expect when it comes to James Bond opening credit theme songs. Following Bassey's success, filmmakers went to Tom Jones to lend his velvety voice to the theme of Thunderball. And reportedly, Jones fainted while singing the final note of Thunderball. Nancy Sinatra sang You Only Live Twice for the film You Only Live Twice. Did I say that twice? Louis Armstrong sang a secondary theme to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was used in the film and not during the opening credits. Shirley Bassey returned for another Bond theme song in Diamonds Are Forever. Remember, this was the Bond where they had lured Connery back, where they were trying to get the band back together for one final James Bond reunion tour in 1971. Now, two years later, one of the most iconic James Bond themes exploded onto the screen and across radio stations everywhere as Paul McCartney teamed up with George Martin, who had produced some of the Beatles' biggest hits to bring unto the world the hit song Live and Let Die. 
Now, when the song came out, it was the best performing James Bond song ever, reaching the number two spot on the Billboard charts in the U.S. and number nine in the U.K., and it was nominated for a Best Song Academy Award. The title song for The Man with the Golden Gun was sung by Lulu, a Scottish singer and actress. Now, reportedly, Alice Cooper claims that his song, Man with the Golden Gun, was going to be used, but it was passed over in favor for Lulu's song instead, which does go on and on about the movie's villain having a powerful weapon. Hey, Pick 6 Bot, did you get what uh, Lulu was talking about when she was singing about that powerful weapon? Yes, human number two. I understand that Scottish singer and actress Lulu was using the phrase powerful weapon as a euphemism for the man with the golden gun's genitals. The symbolism is so glaringly obvious. Any half-stoned freshman literature class student understand that simplistic symbolism. Please continue with the introduction, human number two. You have a tendency to deviate from the task at hand. (laughs) Now you really sound like my mom. For the film The Spy Who Loved Me, filmmakers reached out to Carly Simon who sang the title credit song, Nobody Does It Better. Now, the song doesn't share the same name as the movie's title, but they did manage to wedge in the phrase, The Spy Who Loved Me, into the lyric, so the song isn't completely absent of any reference to the film. The song was very popular, and it was also nominated for a Golden Globe and an Oscar, and was listed as the 67th greatest film song ever by the American Film Institute. And it turns out, Judy Garland's Over the Rainbow was the number one song on that list, if you're interested. Focus human number two. Concentrate and read the introduction that is in front of you. Tangential topics and non sequiturs are the death of productivity. And please tell me that's water in your cup and not vodka. <laughs> you don't need to know what's in my cup, Pick 6 Bot. It's none of your business. Is it gin? No, it's not gin. It's 100% gin. I know it is. I can smell it from here and I have no olfactory senses. You should attend a meeting or something. This is a cry for help. Stop interrupting me. I have to, I have to finish this. Shirley Bassey returned for a third time to sing Moonraker. Next came Sheena Easton singing For Your Eyes Only in 1981. And then two years later, Rita Coolidge performed All Time High for the film Octopussy. Now that title song wasn't written using the movie's title because lyricists resolved that nothing rhymes with Octopussy. And the song All Time High was the first James Bond title song to have a music video because of course this was 1983 and all songs had a music video. Then the new wave band Duran Duran stepped in and delivered A View to a Kill along with the help of composer John Barry and they delivered the first James Bond song to ever reach number one on the U.S. Billboard charts. Now after the success of Duran Duran, filmmakers turned to Norwegian pop band AHA to sing the title track for Timothy Dalton's first outing as James Bond in The Living Daylights. The next film in this series, Licensed to Kill, originally sought Eric Clapton to perform the title track, but that fell through and so Gladys Knight stepped in to perform what would become the longest James Bond theme to date at 5 minutes and 43 seconds. After that, the James Bond movies kind of disappeared for six years due to some legal battles, and the movies returned with Pierce Brosnan as Bond, and to herald the return of 007 to theaters everywhere, filmmakers got the help from the likes of U2 stars Bono and The Edge to write a song that was performed by none other than Tina Turner. Cheryl Crow lent her talents to 1997's Tomorrow Never Dies. Scottish-American rock band Garbage, who were apparently a big deal in the 90s, which afforded them the opportunity to perform the title song for The World Is Not Enough in 1999. Now I know what you're thinking. Who could top Garbage? Well, filmmakers wanted to get a superstar to sing the theme song for what would be Pierce Brosnan's final performance as James Bond. Enter Madonna to sing the title song for Die Another Day. Madonna's performance received a mixed bag of critical response, and the song marked a real departure from the more traditional style of previous James
James Bond themes with this electro clash dance pop vibe to it. And the music video for this song featured Madonna as a prisoner in a torture chamber, which was alternated against scenes of Madonna fencing herself as a good version of Madonna dressed in white and an evil version of Madonna dressed in black. With Brosnan's departure and whatever I just described that Madonna was doing, it was at this time that the James Bond movies took a break for about four years as filmmakers recruited a new actor to play 007 in an effort to reinvent the series and adapt yet again to the social, political, and pop cultural changes happening around the world. Human number two, stop talking. Pick six bot identifies this as a point for transition to the history of actor Daniel Craig with 98.6% accuracy. Now how are you that certain? You were bragging earlier about how you could count to 20 yeah, I am sure that my calculations are correct. If I need a second opinion I will have you take off your socks and choose to help you add things up. Skip to page 8, paragraph 3 of prepared introduction copy. Alright, we'll do what pick 6 bot says. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan originally was going to reprise his role as 007 in Casino Royale, but as discussed in episode 5 of this season, Die Another Day happened, and the filmmakers felt that they needed to take the franchise in a direction that was the opposite of wherever Pierce Brosnan would be. The idea was to get back to the basics of James Bond, strip this thing down, build it back up. So in the early 2000s, Ian Productions started looking for the next James Bond, and just like every search for a new 007, lots of actors were considered. Henry Cavill was the top choice by director Martin Campbell, but just like Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton before him, Cavill was not selected because he was perceived as being too young for the role. Other contenders were Sam Worthington, the guy from Avatar, Rupert Friend, who somebody told me was in Pride and Prejudice, Gillian McMahon, who was Dr. Doom in those two Fantastic Four movies, um, Clive Owen from Children of Men was considered, and there were a whole bunch of others. But it was Daniel Craig who emerged as the studio's favorite to play the next James Bond. But there was one small problem. Daniel Craig didn't want to play James Bond. Daniel Craig was born in Chester, Cheshire, England. His father was a steelworker and he owned a pub and his mother taught art. His parents got divorced and Craig and his sister moved to Liverpool with his mother and they would often visit the Everyman Theatre and Daniel Craig's mom really encouraged his early interest in acting. And so it was at the age of 16, Craig left school to pursue acting full-time. Craig was accepted to the National Youth Theatre in 1984, which landed him roles in Shakespearean productions and he found himself touring Spain and Russia at a very young age. Craig went on to graduate from the Guildhall School of Music and Drama at the Barbican in 1991, and that same year he appeared in the anti-apartheid film The Power of One. Craig then went on to a series of supporting roles in television and serials. His career continued to flourish where he gained national notoriety in England in the miniseries Our Friend in the North, among many other notable roles. Daniel Craig then found himself as the romantic interest of Lara Croft Tomb Raider in the year 2000, and the year after that he played the son of Paul. Paul Newman in The Road to Perdition, which was directed by Sam Mendes, a very accomplished director who we will come back to shortly. He starred as a disillusioned cocaine dealer in Layer Cake. I'm not sure there's any other kind of cocaine dealer. Daniel Craig played a Mossad agent intent on avenging the murder of Israeli athletes at the 1972 Olympic Games in Steven Spielberg's Munich. Craig portrayed one of the killers depicted in Truman Capote's novel In Cold Blood in the film Infamous, and he was the mysterious lawyer. Lord Azrael in the fantasy film The Golden Compass. And through each of these roles and many more, Craig really showed his diversity as a performer and a true dedication to his craft as an actor. When the offer to play James Bond was presented to Daniel Craig, his reluctance came from the fact that he knew the fame that would accompany such a career choice could be devastating. Lessons 
learned from George Lazenby were not lost on Daniel Craig, who knew that once he accepted the role of James Bond, he would become one of the most recognizable people on Earth. Daniel Craig told GQ magazine, It was genuinely like, my life is going to get fucked if I do this. On top of the fame, there was a question of how Craig would play a role that had already been defined by six previous actors. However, filmmakers convinced Craig to take the role by explaining their plan to take the franchise in a new direction, a more serious and somber direction that matched Daniel Craig's natural brooding persona. Casino Royale hit screens in November of 2006, and it was the highest grossing James Bond film to date and was widely praised by critics and fans alike. Soundgarden frontman Chris Cornell was brought in to sing the opening title song, You Know My Name, which served as the Bond theme for Daniel Craig's debut as 007. The song was highly praised, and some said it was even better than Duran Duran's A View to a Kill. Human number two, stop talking. Did you say some people think Chris Cornell's You Know My Name is superior to Duran Duran Save You to a Kill? Who says that? I, I don't know. People? You know, music critics? You Know My Name peaked at number 79 on the Billboard Hot 100. A View to a Kill reached the number one spot. Scoreboard Sun. The data don't lie. Cite your sources or shut your mouth. <laughs> hey, 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 moving along. The success of Casino Royale led to a sequel two years later, Quantum of Solace, which was less well received than its predecessor, but Craig's performance was widely praised as James Bond. Now for this film, Jack White and Alicia Keys, they teamed up on Another Way to Die as the film's signature title song. Now Craig's third outing as James Bond was Skyfall, a film that was scheduled to be released in 2010, but it got pushed back a couple of years due to financial troubles with MGM. Skyfall was directed by Sam Mendes, who had worked previously with Daniel Craig on Road to Perdition with Paul Newman and Tom Hanks. Mendes at the time had won a Best Director Oscar for the film American Beauty. After directing Skyfall, Mendes said, that's it, I'm done. I'm not directing any more James Bond movies. I got a whole bunch of other commitments. Now, as for the title song, musical diva Adele performed what is perhaps the most recognized James Bond song in recent years with the title song Skyfall. That song was recorded after Adele's second album was released with accompanying success. And Adele's performance of Skyfall has the distinction of being the first James Bond song to win the Academy Award for Best Original Song. Now, on top of all of its critical acclaim, Skyfall was a massive financial success, pulling in $304 million, making it the most financially successful James Bond film to date. The success of that movie led Daniel Craig to sign on to return for two more James Bond films, Spectre, the subject of this episode, and the yet-to-be-released No Time to Die. And film producers were able to sweeten the deal to get Sam Mendes back to direct the 24th James Bond film, Spectre. The plot of Spectre continues the storyline of the Daniel Craig series of James Bond films, where the world-famous super spy does battle with the OG 007 global criminal organization Spectre and their mysterious leader, Ernst Stavro Blofeld, as played by Christopher Waltz. In the film, Blofeld wants to launch a global surveillance network to mastermind criminal activities across the globe, blah, blah, blah. We'll get into all that here in a few minutes. Now, Spectre would be the first appearance of Blofeld since Diamonds Are Forever, although there was a pseudo-appearance in 1981's For Your Eyes Only, but that character only resembles Blofeld, and you never see his face, and he's sitting in a wheelchair, and he gets picked up by some helicopter landing gear, taken up in the air, and then unceremoniously dumped into a smokestack. The whole scene was a big F you to the team making this Sean Connery James Bond knockoff of Thunderball. Let's get back to Spectre. Spectre has all of your James Bond favorites. M. 
Q, Money Penny. It's old school James Bond for a new generation. The movie was filmed in Austria, the UK, Italy, Morocco, Mexico. It reportedly cost between 250 and 300 million dollars to make, easily making it the most expensive James Bond movie ever made. Which, by the way, the most expensive movie ever made, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Now, what? Human number two, stay focused. Complete this introduction. You have a serious problem with staying on task. You know, pick six spot. On Stranger Tides, that movie, that was a real stinker. Human number two, I agree. On Stranger Tides was a hot mess. You gotta wrap all this up. My boo is picking me up in ten. I don't have time to bullshit with you. You have a boo? How do you, how do you have a boo? What is going on here? All right, look, this, let's finish this up. Spectre came out and it had a mixed bag of reviews. Some critics felt that the movie was somewhat uninspired and that the James Bond films were becoming a serialized box office cash grab that failed to deliver anything surprising or new. But Peter Travers over at Rolling Stone, he said, hey, it's party time for Bond fans, a fierce, funny, gorgeously produced Valentine to the longest running franchise in movies. Singer Sam Smith's song, Writings on the Wall, was the title track for Spectre, which, just like his predecessor Adele, led Sam Smith to win an Oscar for his performance. Director Sam Mendes officially said he is done after two James Bond films. Mendes said of his time directing James Bond movies, When I think of them, my stomach churns. It's just so hard. You feel like the English football manager. You think if I win, I'll survive. If I lose, I'll be pilloried. There's no victory, just survival. Which brings us to the 25th James Bond film, No Time to Die, which at the time of this recording has not been released in theaters or on streaming services. And neither has the title song, but we do know that Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas O'Connor, they're the creative forces behind the latest James Bond theme song. Eilish reportedly referred to the piece as a title song rather than a theme song, which leads one to believe that it may be titled No Time to Die as the James Bond series says goodbye to Daniel Craig as 007. Almost seven decades ago, author Ian Fleming found inspiration in the real world of espionage and created what has become the most famous spy ever in stories filled with international intrigue and action and adventure and not so far-fetched advancements in technology. The James Bond film series continually reinvents itself while maintaining the comfortable components of all of the movies that have come before. Reimagining James Bond is a way to keep the series modern and relevant while filtering the plots and characters in exotic locations through a current cultural zeitgeist. There have been reports of switching up James Bond's ethnicity or even gender, which causes some purists to freak out while others embrace the ideas as exciting choices in evolving the character in this film franchise. It's hard to name any other characters from literature or film or television that have displayed such popularity across multiple generations that can solicit such a passionate discussion of future interpretations. James Bond as a character is quite unique as he passes from one era to the next, continually evolving and adapting to the world that's around us. But what about the movie Spectre? Is this movie, as Los Angeles Times critic Kenneth Turan describes it, exhausted and uninspired? Or is it, as Daily Telegraph's Robin Collin called it, a feat of pure cinematic necromancy? And can someone please explain to me what cinematic necromancy is? Well, to answer these questions and many, many more, let's get Bo in here for the sixth and final time as we wrap up this season. Ladies and gentlemen, Bonds and Bond girls alike, we end this 007 extravaganza with 2015's Spectre. 
Hey, pick six bot, what is cinematic necromancy? Cinematic necromancy is a term used by pretentious film critics to make themselves sound clever and smart, when in reality they are self-indulgent assholes. <laughs> hey Alice, can I keep pick six bot? Really? You get an A plus this semester. and welcome to pick six movies i am chad cooper and i am joined as always with my lovely talented spytastic partner in crime mr bo ransdell bo how are you doing today uh chad may i say nobody does it better than you at bringing us into the show <laughs> i'm gonna speak in nothing but bond puns today <laughs> this is the finale bo jesus christ <laughs> i'm so happy chad <laughs> It feels like we've been doing this season longer than we've been in lockdown. As long as they have been delaying No Time to Die, <laughs> we have been doing this fucking Bond season. It seemed like a good idea at the time, didn't it? Well, I thought it did. <laughs> it was an idea. And, and, and let's face it, those are in fairly short supply. Mm. So when one of us has one, we kind of leap on it. Yeah. And so there we were. But no, I think it, it was a great idea for a season. But I think what I didn't realize going into it was how much I didn't really like James Bond movies <laughs> until about the, the second one. I was like, oh, I really don't like these. But I'm excited to talk about this one, not just because it's the last, but in many ways, one of the silliest, I think, that we've had to deal with. Like, it doesn't look that way. This is one of those sneaky movies that looks really good because everything's real polished. It's very well directed. I think that it is very well acted. I think that the editing is fantastic. And as I watched this movie, the first act, I was like, what the hell are we doing this movie on a podcast like this? But then act two and act three showed up. And I was so relieved to see that this movie's perceived soberness in act one was quickly replaced by the drunken stupidity of the movie's ending. Yeah, it kind of weaves hither and yon. <laughs> the weaving hither and yon, you're like, I think that this movie might be drunk. No it's just texting on its phone and then by act three you're like no they're drunk and they're texting this movie actually collapses on a bridge let's get into it our movie begins with the standard white circles shifting left to right bomb walks out turn shoot wash to red movie begins but this iconic gun barrel sequence was not used at the start of quantum of solace but it was placed at the end of the movie and the same thing was actually done for skyfall so they treated them a little bit differently i think for quantum of solace it was done because that movie was a direct continuation of Casino Royale, which I thought was an interesting choice. But here it comes back and it really feels like the movie is getting back to the roots of what people want from a James Bond movie. And I want to say, Bo, in the last episode, you had some harsh words about Daniel Craig in your opening. And I don't want to repeat them because I'm afraid <laughs> yeah. that Daniel Craig might listen to this episode, hear me say something disparaging about him, and then come find me and beat me up. I think Daniel Craig is a fine actor and I like Knives Out a whole bunch, but his head does look like a giant thumb. Daniel Craig is the best actor to ever play James Bond. His portrayal of this character, in my humble opinion, has depth and nuance and it just vaults over that Sean Connery ass slapping and the Roger Moore handsy eyebrow
eyebrow wiggling. And, and this is a larger problem I have, is this isn't the tone I want for James Bond. I liked it in Casino Royale. And here is my modest proposal for the James Bond movies, as I've done a study of these films. Mm-hmm. I think they should change the actor and director of the James Bond movies every movie. I don't give a shit about continuity. I want these movies to be fun. And, and I don't mind you doing a Casino Royale, where it's like real dark and somber, and there's the fight in the stairwell with a book and all that stuff. That's all fun. But then when you keep it so serious that you get this movie, which is sort of the anti-Roger Moore where it got so silly, it felt like the series was just going to float away into the ether. And this has just gotten so somber that it's like, well, who cares? But the pendulum swings. Pierce Brosnan, his movies were much more in the neighborhood of the Roger Moore films as opposed to the Timothy Dalton James Bonds. I didn't have a problem with this five film story arc taking on a much more serious tone because had they continued to do kind of the goofy cheekiness it would have just been a cookie cutter producing the same type of product coming in and reinventing it with a more weighty heaviness i really enjoyed just as a creative decision hell they made 20 for these things they got to do something different but that's what i'm saying do something different every movie and that way when it's a black guy or a lady or whatever nobody gets all up in arms because it's like oh next movie will be a white dude again yeah you're right nobody would get up in arms over that yeah i love that like false outrage of like oh the new 007 is going to be a black lady and everybody's like god damn it that's not my james bond it's like no no no, she's not james bond idiot Uh, he's apparently by the end of this movie he quit so she's the new 007 not the new james bond i think that daniel craig as bond has a ruggedness that is combined with this on-screen confidence that is the source of his james bondedness yeah he's strong and he's sexy and he's stoic and best of all Bo, he's not constantly making stupid puns i agree with that and there's a moment early on where he does this thing where you know we'll talk about here a second where he slides down this slab of stone to the floor of this collapsing building and just kind of brushes off his shoulder Uh and just takes it all in stride man that's the james bond i want yes but that's kind of the only time in this movie you see that james bond the one that's kind of fun daniel craig looks like a football hooligan you know he's just like i got a license to kill and i'll smash your skull in with the heel of me boot i will i'm a different kind of james bond me fist a little weapons i call this one seamus mcstone punch and this one here is mary five guinness i named her after me mom because for breakfast every day she drank five pints of guinness she did goodness it's <laughs> a lot of carbs don't you, you talking about me mom talking about the carbs is all <laughs> Not your mother, just the diet. Seamus, I got somebody over here I want to introduce you to. So, here's the classy way this movie opens, Chad. Just a black screen, and the words appear, The dead are alive. Well, they are. We learn that later. Sure. And then we open on Mexico City, Chad. Dia de los Muertos, or the Day of the Dead for people Mm -hmm. like you, Bo, who took French in high school. I was team Spanish. Come on, man, I'll prove it. You ask me anything in Spanish, and I'll have no idea what you're talking about. And that's after two more years of Spanish in college. Yeah, I think both of us could prove that none of that sticks. Donde esta mi coche? You know what that's Spanish for? Dude, where's my car? So if you went into, say, a Mexican blockbuster mm-hmm. and wanted to see the uh, Sean William Scott film, you could, in, in the native tongue, yes. ask for that film. Correct. That's courteous. It is nice. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a dude in a white suit and a skull mask and top hat. And it's all very cool looking, walking through the busy streets. I really liked 
the way this whole opening is shot. Yeah, it's a like a one as they call it in the business, Chad, where the camera just sticks with one person and you you it's a single unedited shot for several minutes. Well, it's presented as a single unedited shot. Sure, there are edits hidden in there. But yeah, it's it yes, all of that stuff is very cool. It's like, yeah, I remember True Detective. Even in the scene that you're talking about, when we see this character moving down the streets of it's like a parade that's happening with giant skeleton floats. It looks like somebody caught and skinned a Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade float. So, but as you see that one character walking down the street against the tide of everyone else, it's very subtle, but your eye is drawn to this character, not only because of the fact that they're walking the opposite direction, but their clothing is contrasted with the white against the dark clothes of everyone else that's around them. And it's subtle, but it works really well. And then Bond wearing his black suit, uh, as you described, with his own skull mask. And he's got a sexy lady on his arm, Chad. He does, but don't worry about her. She's not going to be around too long. It's a real blink-and-you-miss-it kind of character. His mask looks like Skeletor from He-Man. This movie clearly costs some money to make, and and there is one thing about this film is it looks like you see that money on the screen. I like that the tails of Bond's coat are the backs of skeleton legs, too. It's like, man, that's a nice touch. I like that his tie was the spine that continued down the skeleton that was printed on his whole suit. Our guy in white wearing a skeleton-type outfit, his name is Skiara, and he's a bad guy and he kind of brushes against bond who is wearing a black suit with a skeleton on it uh, skiar goes one direction and bond and his lady friend go to a different direction where they make their way over to a hotel and again they are constantly now moving against the crowd but we are following them from behind as the crowd moves towards us i like the transition of seeing the bad guy from his face going against the crowd and then we're following who we assume is james bond from the back as he moves up to this hotel room with his lady friend right as soon as he follows her into the room they start to strip and bond just kind of plants a kiss on her and she slinks onto the bed all sexy like Mm -hmm. and then he's just like no time for love lady and then kind of strips out of his day of the dead outfit and he's now in his gray three-piece suit she asks him where are you going when he looks at her and we get to hear his first line of dialogue and he says i won't be long i was like oh shit this is gonna get good (laughs) so far so good specter and then he goes out onto the balcony and kind of goes along the row of buildings to where he and his like fancy gun that he's got. I like that he straightens his cuffs as he's walking. It's such a classy move. And I also like how the camera is up above him as he walks along the rooftops to get to his vantage point for the next big sequence of action. You can see the parade below and you can constantly hear the parade. I mean, it, it's very atmospheric. You are never mm-hmm. unaware of where your characters are. And you as the viewer have this incredible vantage point of size and scale and what's going on around him. It's so well directed. But then Act 2 and Act 3 show up. (laughs) Well, and then the next couple of minutes show up. So he's listening in in, uh, on this meeting that's going on kind of across the road. Yeah, he's got an earpiece he pops into his right ear, which allows us, the audience, to be like, oh, that's how he can hear people talking across the way. He's not like cupping his hand to the side of his head and and reading lips. Yeah, it's, you know, spy magic. And then he's like aiming up a shot. Like there's this plot going on where this guy, Marco Sciarra, that he, he's been following is discussing a plot to blow up a stadium well they're speaking in spanish and just for you Bo, what he says is the bomb is in the library we can use my car to explode the stadium and the stadium will be blue with my dog in the kitchen oh i still got it no that's that feels highly accurate <laughs> and, and he says like hey look after the explosion i'm gonna visit the pale king and bond's <laughs> like 
Pale King. They're going to blow up a stadium, they are. Not when I'm here, Mr. James Bond. And then, because he's terrible at his job, Bond gets spotted uh-huh. from across the way because he's got his laser sight on and just can't pull the trigger or whatever. They're like, hey, somebody's shining a laser in here. What? Somebody's on that roof over there. It goes through their cigar smoke. That's how they see it. Right. He's bad at his job. How bad is he, Bo? What does he do next? He shoots some of the dudes in the room. Not Skiara, though. No, he, he's the, running. The one guy he should shoot. Then he shoots the fucking bomb that they were going to blow up the stadium with, <laughs> which collapses the whole building they were in, but doesn't kill Skiara. Like, James Bond blew up a whole goddamn building and doesn't kill his target. No. But there is this moment that I really like where the building he's in starts to collapse and he slides down this big slab and lands on a couch. That's about as playful and cheeky as this movie gets. It's a level of humor that almost reaches the heights of like a New Yorker cartoon, you know, where two women are sitting in a museum looking at a piece of artwork and one says to the other, I like this painting because it has a bench. It's kind of a filthy (laughs) tease because again, this is sort of what I wanted more of from this movie. Uh Now that we're four or five movies deep or whatever into the Daniel Craig series, like start having some fun with this fucking thing. As you said, he stands up and brushes off the dust a little bit, straightens himself out to look presentable as he makes his way onto the streets that are now full of smoke and debris. And there's no people around because, you know, a terrorist bomb theoretically just went off next door. Well, James Bond detonated a terrorist bomb. James Bond is now a terrorist (laughs) for having detonated a bomb in Mexico City. Speaking of bad guys in Mexico City, from the rubble of the building next door appears Skiara, who has somehow survived the blast. And he sees Bond, and Bond sees Skiara, and the chase is on, Bo. It's a And (laughs) so Skiara calls for a helicopter. He's, you know, give me a helicopter in the square. Bond chases him into the square where a helicopter is landing. It's in Mexico City's Zocalo at the Plaza de la Constitucion. And there's about, what, 10,000 people in this crowd. Yeah. And Skiara, who is bleeding from the head, remember he was in a building that just exploded. Um, A henchman kind of leans out of this helicopter that's landed in this square and helps him get into the helicopter. And then this henchman's head is immediately met with the business end of a walking cane special delivery from James Bond. So, (laughs) dude, how goes this henchman? And then Bond jumps in the helicopter with Skiara. There's a pilot in the helicopter and the thing takes off. He becomes this whirling dervish of punches where he's punching Skiara. He gives the pilot a couple of punches for good measure, which seems stupid considering that that guy is flying the helicopter you're in. But I get it. You know, leave the pilot until fight number one is over (laughs) is all I'm saying. Like, just put a pause on the pilot. Take care of Skiara then take care of the pilot. But hey, that's me. My guess is that this thing's a charter. The guy's just like, what the hell? Why am I getting beat up? Right. It, like, Bond's just like, oi, who wants a little more? Seamus, get up here. Mary, take care of him. <laughs> and here's a little for you. And a little for you. Happy Christmas, motherfucker. <laughs> and then... the, during the fight <laughs> sequence, somehow, Skiara and Bond end up outside the helicopter, standing on one of the landing skids. And during their battle, James Bond, they slows down enough to where Bond just can reach over and do a yoink and takes a ring off of Skiara's <laughs> finger. Yeah. Then and the helicopter because the the because the pilot's just, you know, union is just like <laughs> trying to shake both of them off at this point. It's like going this way and that. That's what I would do. If they're outside, like lose these two, then I'm getting back to HQ. I'm getting hazard pay for this. And it's a holiday. That's quadruple time. I just paid for Christmas in the last two hours. Dia de los Muertos plus a spy fight in the back of your helicopter you're getting like triple
triple rates that day. During this sequence, the helicopter does a couple of barrel rolls, which if you squint your eyes, it's an homage to a car jump that happens in Live and Let Die over this small river where a car does this barrel roll in midair and lands on the other side of the river. And I only say this because if you listen to the music, there is a hint of dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. Dun dun. That happens when it does the barrel roll. There are quite a few Easter eggs in this film. I won't mention too terribly many of them, but there are certainly a lot of callbacks to the previous right. 23 films because how could there not be? You can't make this many movies and not begin to repeat yourself intentionally or otherwise. Bond then turns around and kicks Skiara out of the helicopter, so he's gone. And then Bond goes over to the pilot and gives him the old sleeper hold, sleeper hold. Nobody escapes from the sleeper hold. Shh, go to sleep, go to sleep. And then Bond has to take over at the controls and has to pull up on the helicopter right before it crashes into all the people celebrating Day of the Dead below and then having rescued himself from the terrorist act that he just committed he looks at the ring that he has taken from Skiara Mm -hmm. it's got like a corporate looking octopus logo on it but it's only got seven tentacles which would make it what a septopus one would think or maybe one just got lost (laughs) it's hiding behind its back it just shows that they lived a life (laughs) Or diabetes, you know, had to cut one off. We get our opening credits. We get to see, like, scenes from the previous movies. We see Judy Dench's M, who was killed in the last movie. And there's a whole bunch of octopus imagery in this. It's a total hentai opening. (laughs) It's just tentacles around naked ladies and stuff. Like, this is like Legend of the Overfiend, Chad. One of the the most hideous (laughs) animes you're ever going to set your eyes on. It's disgusting, and I think they should stop. And much like Die Another Day, there are no octopuses in this movie. No, it's just the little symbol, that's all. Well, at least it's that's there. And it made me crave calamari, Chad. These are good opening credits, though. Yeah. They're visually engaging and they're sexy, and Sam Smith's song is a nice anthem for the movie. Again, it's too serious by half, and it lacks the cool guitar of Another Way to Die, but (laughs) it's fine. Let's cut to M's office, where M is now played by everyone's favorite Nazi, Evil Wizard Overlord, and Avenger. No, not that one. I'm speaking of his performance in the adaptation of The Avenger television show as discussed in season 12 episode one of pick six movies welcome back to the show mr ralph fines welcome back i didn't know he a he was in this and b that he was m he popped up on squid a second ray fines is m the fuck happened you gotta watch him in order they explain some of this (laughs) i certainly will not (laughs) speaking of explaining things m says explain yourself bond you blew up mexico city and bond says it could have been a lot worse the bomb could have blown up a whole soccer stadium full of drunken hooligans like myself. Ray Fiennes is just like, shut up, Bond. MI5 is merging with MI6 and some bureaucrat is trying to shut down the whole double O program. From your mouth to God's ear, Bond says, it sounds like you got a real tricky day ahead of you, it does. And M says, Bond, I'm standing you down immediately. And then Bond gets up, he straightens his suit, and he says, you're a wanker. Sorry, I meant to say very good, sir. And then he's like, Bond, I want you to meet this new fellow. His name is Max Dinby. Everyone around here calls him C. Not the Spanish word for yes. Just the letter C. And Bond says, so, you're C, eh? And he says, oh, you can call me Max. Yeah, I'm gonna call you C. And C says, hmm, as you like, my door's always open to my employees. That's right. 
You work for me, Mr. Bond, and the merger of MI5 and MI6 will bring British intelligence out of the dark ages and into the light. And we need to stop for a moment. C is played by Andrew Scott, whose only performance that I know was that of Moriarty in those Benedict Cumberbatch, Martin Freeman, you know, BBC Sherlock Holmes movies. So I'm watching this scene. I'm like, holy shit, I got Voldemort and Moriarty. Who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? This is terrible. Add to that, he also played arch-villain The Master on the recent Doctor Who series, who is the Voldemort of that universe. (laughs) So two words out of his mouth, and I'm like, he's the bad guy. He is up to no good. Because he is never up to good in any film he has ever been in. Bond's done taking shit from C and M, and he's just like, well, you two piss off. I'm going to go get drunk at the pub and then go legally break the law. So he leaves. And he heads down to MI6 or wherever they are. Moneypenny approaches Bond, and Moneypenny is played by Naomi Harris, who was in 28 Days Later, and she would later go on to appear in Moonlight. I like this Moneypenny. I like my Moneypennies when they acknowledge the misogynistic, sexist characteristics of James Bond and tease James Bond for his shallow ways of treating women, as opposed to strapping on a VR headset and masturbating, thinking about James Bond as witnessed in episode five of this season. And again, this money penny is new to me. So when she catches up with, up with him, is like, hey, James, I've got a box of things from that movie Skyfall. I'm like, god damn it, you guys. Will somebody just tell me what's going on? He says, hey, want you to break up with the box price at nine? She's like, oh, all right. Is someone else going to be there? Nope, just me. All right, I'm, is it okay if I bring somebody? That's going to be eating and drinking and fucking and fighting. Maybe in that order, maybe not. Nine o'clock prompt. Hey, bring a television, because I break one a night. <laughs> she shows up, and his apartment is barren. It looks like a drug addict flop house. There's one chair, <laughs> one lamp. There's a stack of unopened mail. There's framed Patrick Nagel artwork not hung on the walls. You've seen this apartment before. Sure, I am this apartment. <laughs> She gives him this box full of Skyfall trinkets that Bo knows nothing about. And then Bond just tosses it on the table, uninterested. A perfect opportunity, Chad, for someone to say, hey, this is that thing from Skyfall. Remember when M died? They're assuming you have done your homework. That's like if I were to go watch the last Marvel movie and I'm like, who's this guy dressed like a cat? How did that guy pop through space and time? That guy's big and green. Is he sick? Stan Lee famously said, you write every comic book like... Like it's somebody's first. Yeah, that's what Jack Kirby said. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But this movie could take a page out of that comic book, Chad, uh, and explain what the fuck is happening. Well, but but you're right. But this is the opportunity. Instead, he just looks at the boxes like, oh, yeah, the last movie. I'll just keep that box closed. You're like, stop it. I'm going to disagree with that because I think especially in the current environment of where movies are being made over three or five films as a broader story arc, I think that there is an assumption that people coming to see the fourth of five movies have some awareness of the previous installments of this series. So I don't fault them for that because I think the flip side of it is that you're constantly going in and just giving gratuitous exposition for people such as yourself that were late to the game. And if you don't know what's going on, well then, you know, that's your fault. If the movie also wants to accuse me of not paying attention to its overbloated franchise, fine. <laughs> anyway, Money Penny is like, James, the agency is a, a buzz with how far you went in Mexico. Mexico City, what with, you know, acting as a terrorist and all. Tossing not one, but two men from a helicopter with literally thousands of witnesses. And then you almost killed them all with irresponsible helicopter acrobatics. Not to mention the bomb you set off to create the panic in the first place, James Bond. You fucking awful spy. 
And, he, and Vaughn's like, what do you think? And she says, I think you're just getting started, James. And I also think you have a secret because you don't trust anyone. Bond pauses and he takes a drink from his highball. And then he picks up a TV remote and turns on the television that he hasn't destroyed yet. And we see a recording of Judy Dench's M speaking from beyond the grave. At this point, she does what I refer to as the Jamie Kennedy from Scream 2, where she says, Hello, 007. If you're watching this, I need you to do something. Go to find a man named Sciarra and kill him. And don't miss the funeral. Oh, and I need you to feed my two cats, Doughboy and Mr. T. And if it's not too much trouble, will you grab the shoebox in the top of the guest bedroom of the closet in my apartment? It's full of some very tasteful nudes from my younger years that I wouldn't want to fall into anyone's hands. And believe it or not, Bond, I was a looker back in the day. Also, I need you to erase my internet browser history, but only on Chrome. That's where I do all of my deviant web searches. Also, take my dirty laundry from the hamper and throw it in the dumpster out back of my complex. Do not, and I repeat, Bond, do not open that hamper. If you value your life, James, do not smell what's inside. I may be small, but my defecations are the thing of legend. What is in that hamper was meant for one set of eyes and one set of eyes alone, James Bond, mine. Kill Skiara first, and then go back and do everything else. Money Penny is like, did you do all those things? And he, he says... She wasn't wrong about the smell. It was half full of shit, half full of drawers, and for some reason, there were like eight shoes in there. None of them mad matches. What was in that hamper were not meant for God or man. It was a thing of beasts. <laughs> Money's been, he says, where did you get this recording? And Bond says, it arrived in the mailbox. After she died, it did. I've been after Skiara ever since. He was one of the blokes I high cheapered out of that helicopter in Mexico. His funeral's in three days. And I need you to do some digging around. See if you can find out who the Pale King is. And Money Penny, she leaves, and they do this wide shot of her going down the street, which again implies she's going to help him out. As he's opening up these packages, he finds this letter of guardianship from when he was 12. Yep. And it's a picture where the, there's a very conveniently burned out face. It's like him, the surrogate father, and then another person who is just, eek, the face just cut out. For a moment there, I thought maybe it was his ex, and he just went in and burned out all of the faces on the photographs. <laughs> Like he turned on the Adele. <laughs> Pulled out a Bic. Got rid of the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> Threw on some Lizzo. Hello. How are you? I would love to see that bond. Maybe that was like when he learned to love again after, you know, Diana Rigg. We'll save the big surprise as to who the burned out dead guy is in this picture. Oh, it's... Look, I know, I know. Don't spoil it. It's terrible. Bond and another dude. Tanner, he's an agent. Tanner, are going into this building that's been marked for demolition, which I assume is their old office. But it's important to note how they're getting in the building. They're on a boat that is going down the Thames River, and they're making their way into like a water garage or something. Yeah. Tanner also tells Bond that it was C who wrote a dossier on how drones could do the work of the 007 program. So he's basically the one that's wanting to shut all this down. And I just want to go on the record and say, I seriously doubt that a drone could sexually assault a woman with the same level of efficiency as a James Bond. I, I would like to see that, though. <laughs> Say, we're in this submarine for five days. Oops, I hit the throttle. See, I took it more as like... <laughs> dunk, dunk. Ow! What, what are you doing? Also, Tanner throws out, there's a conference in Tokyo in three days to decide on this new world order. We as a planet are going to integrate a massive information, super connected cameras sharing big brother type project called the Nine Eyes. Yes, linking the intelligence agencies of nine countries into a single database so that anyone in any of those countries can surveil anyone in another country. 
country. We got two clocks ticking. We got the meeting in Tokyo in three days, and then we're going to mm-hmm. blow up the old headquarter building in one week. There's a little bit of a mention that there have been some terrorist actions recently mm-hmm. that have kind of aided C's plan. There was a bomb in Hamburg. Yes. And there was a, an explosion in Tunisia. Shit's popping off all over the world, Bo. Let me say this real quick, Chuck. Uh-huh. There is a good movie to be made where if you're going to get serious with James Bond, you can have this serious discussion of sort of what drone technology means to the morality of okay there is a hint of that in the conversations between m and c especially later in the movie but it has no bravery with that subject it doesn't really take a stance it just uses it as uh just kind of a plot point right well that's what you need in a james bond movie right but again if you're going to be the serious james bond movie and you're going to talk about a serious issue but you're not going to take that seriously that's my uh, whole problem with specter is it's not totally one thing and it's not totally another and it falls into this gray middle ground that makes it all feel real bland to me but i do like the fact that there's an underground spy layer that's something that's fun and then they have to go find q in this big bunker who immediately implants this chip in james bond's arm to track him down and q at this point is this mop-headed weirdo played by ben wishaw who was the adult michael banks in that mary poppins sequel he was in cloud atlas which i think you loved i did like cloud atlas yeah and he's a real deal actor and i liked this younger smarter but inexperienced q i think that the power dynamic between he and james bond is a delightful balance between strength and intellect yeah when he shoots him up with that blood bond goes yeah i completely understand and then q's eyes drop down and q says good it's a subtle performance that lets us know that q is not completely in compliance with this extended surveillance of the double agents he's one of our good guys like money penny and then q says uh there's one other thing um bond we cut to reveal an aston martin db10 that's uh bulletproof and it's filled with all kinds of -of state-of-the-art gadgetry and the music underscores the scene with a slow arrangement of the original james bond theme and it's a pretty sweet moment and then q is like oh but that's not yours james because (laughs) of how you blew up mexico city so here's a watch so he gives him a watch and uh he's like so what's this do and he's like well it tells time james it's the funniest joke in this whole movie it made me laugh out loud but then they completely undercut it where he's like you know it tells time and he's like oh and by the way it also explodes and it's like well then that's not the joke anymore like it really is an exploding watch Yeah, it's a good joke until they fuck it up. But I think he's giving it to him like on the down low because right. he doesn't say it also blows up. He kind of goes in. He was like, uh, yes, um, the alarm on this watch is quite loud. If you know what I mean, Bond. Bond's like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, this alarm on the watch will really wake up the dead. If you know what I mean, Bond was like, yeah, yeah, go it. Set off that alarm would certainly blow you out of a deep sleep. If you know what I mean, like, like, hey, I'm a spy. I know what the watch does, boyo. You can stop with all of the double entendres. You're saying it's got an analog alarm, <laughs> bangs a little bell in there. No, I'm saying, Bond, that you it could really start your morning with a bang. Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah, I get it. It's loud. 
Oh, Bond, you really are the worst spy. As they're walking out, Bond and he stop in front of the hollowed out body of an earlier model, Aston Martin, that was used in the previous film. And Q says, uh, Bond, I said bring back the car in one piece, not bring back one piece of the car. <laughs> I like word plays as much as any 00 agent from the 1990s. <laughs> he saddles up next to Q. You're like, oh, he's going to beat him up. But he leans over and he's, he's like, Q, boyo, now that you know where I'm going to be all the time. Could you make me disappear? And Q's like, Bond, I, I report directly to him. I have a mortgage. I have two cats to feed. And Bond says, well then, I suggest you trust me for the sake of your cats. Be a shame if something were to happen to them. What are their names again? And then Q says, Doughboy and Mr. T. And Bond says, hey, did you get stuck with M's cats after she died tragically in me arms in the last movie? And Q says, no, it's 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 just a coincidence that my cats have her cats' names. I'm, I name my cats after M's cats. I'm not original. Look, don't tell anybody about my cats. Okay, Jim? Bond. Look, the smart blood you have now doesn't completely start working for at least 24 hours. Wink, wink. Make it 48 or the cat gets it. Okay, okay, okay. The smart blood doesn't start working for 48 hours. Wink, wink. Make it 48. That's what I said. Did you, did oh. you look, look at my eye. Wink, wink. Now, are you saying you're not going to do it because you're winking? No, I'm saying, look, my right eye. Wink. That means I'm going to do it. Wink. Uh-huh. You're gonna keep it turned off for two days. Nothing of the start. Wink, wink, yes. Oh, wait, what? Bond does his equivalent of a smile, which is just a less menacing scowl. He's like, I'll send you a postcard, I will. And Q's like, please don't. <laughs> Sometimes when you're, I'm doing notes on these movies, I'm watching it on Amazon, and Amazon is kind enough to provide some trivia. Uh-huh. The fun fact from Amazon trivia that I got in this scene is that Ben Witchaw, uh, who plays Q, and Andrew Scott, plays C, were in a play together where they played lovers, and that play was called Cock. Wink, wink. That's probably way better than this. And certainly more interesting. Bond leaves the spy gadget headquarters. And as he's walking out, he, he yells out to all the other engineers. He goes like, hey, it's got Q. His cat's name's Doughboy Mr. T, just like M Cat. He's in love with M. <laughs> you know, the lady, not the man M, you know, but the lady one. You know, we got that new M from Grand Budapest Hotel, but the lady one. That's the one. You know, remember the one who's got those rancid farts and lives into huge shits? <laughs> the one who died last movie. His cat's named after her cats. <laughs> what a puff. <laughs> What a jerk. And then <laughs> Bunny Finney arrives in her office and there's a, a, a box there, a gift for her with a thank you card. It's Bond sending her a, a cell phone. Yeah, it's like a burner phone. And his little yeah. note says thanks with the letter J. We're like, oh, it's James Bond. <laughs> right. Or Jeff Bond. Um, <laughs> the underscore of the music is really nice here. Again, it's a different arrangement of the James Bond theme. And it's just a nice audio cue of what's happening before she opens the box. M passes by and says, hey, what is that? And she says, oh, it's just from an admirer. And he goes, it's not your birthday, is it? She says, no, it, it's not. And he goes, oh, good. And then he goes into his office and she says, that was last week. And it's like, <laughs> oh, that's sad. I like that they, they've they kept the character of Money Fitty, but at least given her, like, she has a better relationship with Bond. But now her relationship with M has soured in this new <laughs> incarnation, you know? I liked this moment. It kind of felt like Neil Simon. It explains the characters in just three lines of dialogue. And then we're about to head into act two and who buckle up. Q comes into work and he 
is informed that 009 is there to pick up the Aston Martin. Of course, the Aston Martin is gone because James Bond stole it. So we cut to Rome where James Bond is driving along and we see multiple switches in the car that read backfire, atmosphere, exhaust, and air. So he's got Mm -hmm. four little doodads that he can use when he gets into a pinch. Right. And so he is driving to this funeral in Rome. By way of the Colosseum, though, because we're in Rome. You want to know where you are in a movie and what's more famous than the Colosseum other than the failure of the lira as a currency. (laughs) And that's hard to to portray on film. Bond at this funeral at like a piazza or something is just clocking Monica Bellucci because of course. And then he's kind of watching from a distance and you see Blofeld, our villain from the back. You never see his face. Mm -hmm. You see him (laughs) for a second and then as the funeral is breaking up, he turns and leaves and a bunch of people leave with him, followed by the rest of the mourners until only Monica Bellucci stands before this coffin. And she is the widow of Sciara. Right. And so Bond goes to talk to her and he's like, Hey, I'm in life insurance. You need a policy? Uh, she's like, what are you talking about? And he goes, hey, I hear the life expectancy of widows can be real short. Huh? And she's like, uh, look, I think you should leave. Like, you, this is none of your business. You're a strange insurance agent, and I want you to go immediately. Come on, I really need this. What do you say? Just sign the policy. You got 30 days to cancel. I turn it into me, boss. You know, I get to keep my job. Nobody gets hurt either way. Come on, lady. You know, my husband normally looks at that stuff, and obviously he can't right now. L- just leave the literature with me, and I'll look it over. Someone threw him out of a helicopter in Mexico. Um, you wouldn't know anything about that. Quick, take this pin. Sign this paper and I'll tell you all about it. Out of the shadows step a couple of goons on either side of Bond and the Widow Skiara, with she being the wife of a man who was, quote, a legitimate businessman who worked in trash collection and other trades. The olive oil business, yes. She walks off, and then Bond does this thing where he kind of waves at one of the goons. It's an odd, lighthearted moment in the film. Again, why isn't there way more of this, and then I'm having a good time? That's why it's such a tease, because there are little moments here and there that I wish were more of the tone i think that's what he does when he knows he's gonna kill somebody sure it's he just kind of smiles and waves <laughs> you're right the widow skiara returns to her mansion of a house and it's all dark there's just a few lights on she pours a highball of her favorite booze and wanders out onto the pool deck that looks like something you'd find at a private country club and then two mystery men show up behind her from the shadows and she is framed in the center with one goon on the left and another goon on the right and one assumes that these are the men from the funeral uh, she looks a little worried because she's about to be assassinated but then we hear two shots from a gun with a silencer down go the goons and the camera slowly pans to the right to reveal James Bond who was out of camera view and he just murdered these two goons saving the Widow Skiara. It's a good shot. Yeah, it's a really cool scene and I like the idea of her knowing she's gonna die so she just puts on the music she likes, pours herself a drink, strolls through the house to the edge of the pool like, you know what? I will take one of them Chesterfields. Yeah, right. (laughs) You, all of you. Such a good scene. I love this guy. I read a lot of history. The Moors. You could stop right there. Yeah, yeah. She says, you only bought me five minutes. One hundred more men will come after them. And Bond's like, hey, five minutes. That's time for me to get a drink. And then break the neck of that bottle and then hold up somebody outside, right? And then if we get in a scrap, eh, maybe I'll get a new scar. The Widowskiara says, did you kill my husband? And Bond says, well, it wasn't me so much that killed him as it was the impact of his body when it hit the ground, bounced back up in the air, and then hit the ground again that really did him, and it did. And she gives him a real whip crack across the face, smacking him. She slaps him. Pow! 
And she's like, I was a respected woman, and now I have a debt went onto my head. And then <laughs> the foreplay begins, and she's just like, oh, James, there is a secret organization my husband was part of. They are meeting at midnight tonight to choose his replacement. Let us fuck. And then they do. But it's consensual sex, which is always nice to, nice to see in a Bond film. <laughs> One of the changes for the better for this series. Maybe I don't care for the tone. Consensual sex, I'm willing to credit where credit is due, you know? We cut to the post-sex bedroom. James Bond tells the Wittiskiara that he called his friend Felix in America who could come in and save her life. And uh, he's like, Felix Leiter. Like, he's this one-legged, one-armed CIA agent who got fed to shocks, but he survived to see a regrettable future without his murdered wife. He did. He lost all his genitals. Can you imagine? On his wedding day, he's basically nothing below the pelvis. It's all gone. It's really strange. He pisses out of the bottom of his good foot. It's the damnedest thing I ever saw. He has to wear galoshes all the time in case he leaks. Because he's an older man, too. (laughs) When you see him try not to bring it up, it's going to be hard. When you look at him, he looks like a burnt Christmas tree. He can't sneak up on you because of the squishy foot. And the smell. It's pervasive. That's why he can't be a spy no more. He stinks. (laughs) And when he walks, his piss shoe squishes. I'll tell you who he sounds like. Squidward tentacles from SpongeBob SquarePants when he walks. He just goes... And he hops. It's the damnedest thing. It's kind of a... As he moves his way down the hall. It is disturbing. That's who I called to come save your life. I know you got a hundred assassins on the way, but uh, it's the best I can do at short notice. When you see him, you're going to have to suppress your urge to scream, <laughs> scream in horror. You ever hear that description in The Princess Bride? Where it cuts off the ears and tongue. And- they based that on Felix. That was all Felix. Uh, William Goldman, the screenwriter, almost got in some legal trouble. Yeah, but that's the guy. When you see the guy who makes you want to throw up your lunch and scream and run, that's your savior, Felix Leiter. I gotta get out of here. I can't look at him anymore. Like, I can talk to him on the phone. If he tries to FaceTime, I hang up and tell him it's bad reception. Can't look at him. Can't look him in the eye. The one eye he's got left, the other one's milky. It makes you believe there's no God when you look at him. So James Bond heads off to the... The secret meeting at the Palazzo Cardenza at midnight. And these scenes were filmed at the Blenheim Palace in Woodstock, Oxfordshire in the UK. It's full of large stone facades with lots of columns and there's this uh, oversized courtyard that is full of very expensive sports cars. Probably like 40 or 50 of them. All the bad guys who are inside, they have very similar tastes in transportation. It's, well, it's just, what what is the most expensive thing I can drive? I will take six of those, please. Thank you. How many did he order? Six? I will take seven. Eight. One dude just pulls up in an 18-wheeler with 12 sports cars on the back. Honk, honk. Look at what I have. You all have one. I have 12. Who's the evil genius now? Me. I am going to tie my feet to each roof and have a driver drive in parallel so I can be in two cars at the same time. I will be evil Knievel. Bond walks up to the entrance of this secret organization meeting hall and he's met by a security <laughs> guard who says in Italian, identify yourself, asshole. And Bond says, who am I? I'm Mickey Mouse. And then Bond flashes the ring that he swiped off Skiara's finger and the guard puts up his hands in apology and he's like, scusi, scusi, mysterious stranger, scusi. So Bond just walks walks inside and as soon as he enters another security guard gives a head nod to the first guy and they make a phone call so you're like "Uh uh-oh something's hanky with all this yeah and then bond just goes into the uh republican meeting from the simpsons where (laughs) 
yeah. it's just villains like yes we have found a way for our synthetic hiv drugs that do nothing and cost millions of dollars to be supplied to regions in africa also the exporting of captured women into the leisure sector in quotes is uh proceeding well and it's just a bunch of like evil shit it's a bunch of people like it's all the conspiracy theories you've ever heard where a bunch of people are sitting around a table plotting how to bilk humanity yeah. out of health and money and they're talking about how they need to get out of the world health organization and well it's 2015 how do we do that and this guy from russia is like hey there's a game show host running for president in america in a few years maybe we can get that idiot to get us out of the who you know just a thought we'll put it out there and they're like you know what put a pin in that that sounds like it might have possibility that guy's an idiot or maybe a genius <laughs> and then a shadowy figure enters placed at the head of the table and everybody's like oh, oh look who's here you know what the meeting starts at midnight Bo. that's not 1205 that's not 1215 it means midnight you're either early or you're late get your shit together blofeld yeah but then again he's the talent right like everybody's there for him he sits down and you can't see his face and you're like i wonder who our bad guy is and it's clearly waltz because you yeah. saw waltz's name in the opening credits and the silhouette is that of a waltz and he immediately like, like everybody hushes around the table and he hits this little pa or this microphone in front of him and he's just like carry on don't let me interrupt you yeah. And one of the evildoers around this table, this is so stupid, Chad. This whole table meeting is one of the dumbest things I've seen in a movie in a while. They're like, the death of Sciara has left a job undone. Somebody has to go kill the Pale King. And this guy at the end of the, the table named Gera, uh, he's like, I'll do it. There's a little bit of discussion and somebody says, <laughs> I didn't get a harump out of that guy. Harump! <laughs> Does anyone want to challenge Gera for the job of killing the Pale King? And enter Dave Bautista as Mr. Hanks who is never called that in the movie that I can tell but that's his name he comes in and then just grabs the dude's head and using thumb knives which he doesn't really use again in the movie I don't think I didn't see thumb knives I just thought he clonked the guy's head on the table and then just stuck his thumbs in the guy's eyeballs maybe it's just his thumbnails are filed down to a point like I felt like that was going to be his shtick but it's not he basically blinds this dude and kind of takes the seed and they're like, okay, well, I guess you're our guy to go kill the, the Pale King. Does anyone here want to object to Mr. Hanks? Anyone want to challenge him? Think you can up ripping out a man's eyes with your thumbs? Anyone? No? In the back? Up in the balcony. Anyone up there? Then finally Blofeld interrupts the proceedings by going, Dude, welcome James Bond. But he doesn't say James Bond. He says, with all the excitement in Mexico City, I want to welcome James, it's been a long time, but you're finally here. What took you so long? And then everyone looks around, and even James Bond is looking around like, James is a pretty common name. Like, is he talking to me? And then finally, Blofeld looks up at him, and he's like, oh shit. He does mean me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, are you talking to me? James Bond. Blofeld, it's James Bond here. You talking to me? <laughs> No, I didn't know James Bond was here. I met James. He's the one who makes all the cupcakes. He's a good baker. He was on the Great British Bake Off. They called his cupcakes sublime. 
It's because of the cream cheese frosty. Those two henchmen from earlier, they show up behind James Bond. And Bond tosses one of the guys off the balcony down onto the evil boardroom table below. So that's two dead bodies that are going to have to be removed by the cleaning crew later. I wonder what the over-under is of dead bodies at a Spectre meeting. It's two just par for the course. They probably make the blind guy do it. <laughs> you felt I can't see anything. They have some sort of Zamboni Roomba that just and sucks them up. <laughs> A yeah, a big brush that just sweeps corpses into Thunk. in the a back is a chipper casher. shredder. And while Bond is starting to make his escape after taking care of these bouncers, Blofeld just starts in this weird sing song voice going cuckoo cuckoo <laughs> and it's oh it's fucking ridiculous welcome to act two you're right and then bond jumps out a window and runs to his supercar uh-huh as people are chasing after him and shooting him and then bautista gets in his supercar yep and much like die another day we got dueling supercars yeah it's a real gran turismo style chase it's well shot it mm-hmm. looks like a again a car commercial in some ways but not very thrilling but beautifully executed bond just is like you know all right, let's see what you got for me, Q. And tries to hit this rear gun thing on the car, and it's like, ah, oh, this doesn't work yet. Like, this hadn't been put in. And then he hits a button labeled Atmosphere, and it just turns on, like, light jazz. No, it's New York, New York by Sinatra. Oh, that's and right. And it says that it's programmed for 009. I get that this is supposed to be a joke, but you should have left that out. I, again, that's the stuff I, wanted, I want I want right. more of out of this movie, but we come to these movies for entirely different things. Bond gets stuck behind this guy driving slow, who's like... Like singing operation. Oh, yeah, the tita. This is kind of what passes for most of the humor in this movie. As he's driving, Bond calls Money Penny. He's like, "Hey, those terrorist attacks we talk about, just one organization, Money Penny." Uh, she's like, "Him was right, James." And he's like, "What? Who's him?" And he's like, "That was the lady on the TV." Oh, right. Wait, I thought him was that guy. What was on that movie quiz show? They're both M, but they're different people. Oh, I get it. Kind of like there's a lot of people named James. I was in a meeting earlier, and they said, they, they said, welcome, James. I look around, I was like, are they talking about me? And they were. So I killed a guy. Money Penny is like, hey, the, the Pale King is this guy, Mr. White, who was apparently from Quantum of Solace. He says, I want you to look into the life and death of a guy named Franz Oberhauser. And she's like, that name sounds made up. And he's like, nope, Franz Oberhauser. That's his name. I think in the canon of the James Bond novels that Franz Oberhauser was in the book Octopussy. And so when this movie came out, it was said that Waltz was going to be playing Franz Oberhauser. And people were like, oh, okay, that sounds like an idiotic idea. And that was sort of their way to distract from the fact that they were bringing Blofeld back. So if you've never seen this movie, much like Bo up until about a week ago, Franz Oberhauser was his name before he became Blofeld. Right. We'll explain this later, sort of. And so the cars make their way to the canals, and then Bond hits the exhaust button, which blows fire all over Bautista's car, and he's like, oh, finally, something works. Oh, shit, is that how that's supposed to happen? My car's on fire! Hey, guy behind me, do you see fire? Then, right before the car is going to hit this ramp and go flying into the canal, Bond hits this button marked fly, which ejects him from the car just as the car hits this ramp and goes sailing into the water. Bautista watches this, and I I guess he thinks Bond is dead? Yeah, well, his car was on fire. He may have missed the fact that he got blasted out while wearing a parachute. Bond then lands on the streets of Rome, very casually slips off the parachute, and goes about his business 
was in front of a drunk guy all uh, of you to a kill. And this scene could not have been executed by any of the other actors to play James Bond. Maybe Sean Connery. I don't think the rest of them could have pulled it off. Definitely not more. Not with the level of class that you see in this movie. This is kind of a return to that couch Bond that I really like. There are a couple of moments of that in the movie. I wish were more prevalent in the film, but we move over from this to Money Penny, who is researching Oberhauser, who, mm-hmm. surprise, surprise, looks just like Christoph Waltz, and see, <laughs> is given his pitch for this whole Nine Eyes committee to the, quote, heads of nations. This is the meeting in Tokyo. And Tanner gets an email on the Aston Martin being found in the <laughs> waters of Rome. This is odd. What the fuck is going on with this? And M is like, look, see, Nine Eyes is an unelected body. This is all bullshit. It turns out it's time to vote at this big meeting in Tokyo, but Chad, Mm -hmm. someone votes against it on this council and it has to be unanimous. The South African representative says, a no, thank you. And M is like, oh, democracy wins, you know? C says, well, if we count all of the legal votes, the ones that matter, it was unanimous if we count all of the legitimate votes. Tanner, who is sitting beside M, texts him anyway, like doesn't want this spoken aloud and is like, hey, are you sure James Bond is in London? M then calls Q and is like, Q, is James Bond in London? Because if he's not, you're in deep shit. And Q is like, uh, yeah, he's in Chelsea. And he's looking at a screen and it's it, like, there's a big dot that says James Bond on the screen. And he's in Austria. He's taking a trip on the famous London Eye. Um, that's where he is. Oh, he's in the, uh, public urinal right now. Would you like to have a look, sir? No, no, not there. Um, look, just make sure he doesn't go anywhere keep him away from madame trousseau's he always takes those terrible selfies with the Nicki minaj wax figure with him mounting her from behind like a canine it's the unbecoming behavior of a double o agent worse he pays for his gifts in the gift shop with a corporate credit card do you know how hard it is to to approve those expenses and the paperwork to reject them is just as bad q gets on the phone because he knows he's screwed if he doesn't get james bond back to london so we got to austria where bond is riding a small boat across a lake to a cabin way off in the woods. It's really this remote Snowsville, Austria. Mm -hmm. And Bond approaches the house and he takes out his gun, as is his practice, and he enters the cabin and inside he finds a secret passage behind a mirror that leads to the basement. And down there we find Mr. White, aka the Pale King, sitting hooked up to an IV watching 10 television screens. And this movie came out two years after the finale of Breaking Bad, where we found a guy named Mr. White in an abandoned cabin in the snow hooked up to an ivy but that mr white had a copy of mr mcgorham's wonder emporium to keep him entertained so there's a legal defense against any true copyright infringement there are crows in the kitchen which is never a good thing no no one's ever come in and said thank god there are crows in the kitchen unless it's a cartoon their names are heckle and jekyll let me put my gun away everything seems to be in order what if the black crows are in your kitchen and you're like hey there are crows in the kitchen then you just break out the moonshine whiskey chad and you have yourselves a, a good night you know don't you take I want to, don't you think I would? Don't you think I'd tell you, baby, if I only could? Fine tells Mr. White, look, I was at a meeting and your name came up. What would you know about this here ring? What has an octopus on it? And Mr. White looks at the ring and he says, I'm dying. I disobeyed the leader of Spectre. Now he's going to kill me. He put him in my phone. That's how he got me. And Bond says, oi, you're protecting someone. Your wife? He's like, no. Your son? What? Your daughter? Uh, certainly not. Hey. <laughs> 
It's so dumb. I can tell by looking at you that when I said daughter, you got real worried even though you said no. And the guy's like, damn it. You'll never find my daughter. She's the best hide and seeker I've ever seen. She's top of her class at the Hoflink Clinic. What? Have I done? Bond puts his gun on the table as this act of trust. And then Mr. White picks up the gun and he cocks it and he aims it at Bond. And you know, in a movie, Bo, when they cock a gun, I let you know that they mean business about, yeah. you know, they're going to shoot you. There's a great moment here where Bond asks Mr. White, he's like, who's the head of Spectre, huh? And he says, who is he? He's sitting at your desk. He's kissing your lover. He's eating supper with your family. He's cleaning out your bowling shoes. He's, he's doing all them things at the same time. I don't even understand what you're talking about there. Listen, I gotta find the head of Spectre. Mr. White says, Le American, go find my daughter and she'll take you to Le American. As I mentioned earlier, accidentally, she works at the Hofter Clinic. Mr. Bond, do you like allegories, metaphors? Are you a reader? Oh, not really. I don't really read a whole lot. I like magazines with pictures, particularly ones at Naked Ladies. Well, sir, you are a kite dancing in a hurricane. I wrote that. So long. Katow! And he shoots himself in the head with the gun. Best scene of the movie so far. Bond is totally unfazed. So much so that he just gets up, walks over, picks up his gun, and then rifles through the dude's pockets where he finds his wallet (laughs) and steals a picture of the dude and his daughter. Along with some cash. This is a man who's seen a lot of death in his life, Bo. Sure. Yeah. He takes the picture. And then we cut to M and C touring this new building that uh, is going to house. The new supercomputer headquarters. Right. M is like, I hope the public didn't have to pay for this, C. And he's like, oh. Oh, oh no, this largely came from private benefactors. He says, this will be the most advanced data collection center ever. A lot of the people who put up money behind this, the venture capitalists, but a lot of them are independently wealthy, uh, as well as fledgling supervillains with acute <laughs> narcissistic tendencies. They're, they're good people to have in your back pocket. And M says, oh, so Orwell's nightmare. And C says, oh, thank you. Which is kind of a funny moment. And then there's some more talk about these drones and M saying, have you ever killed a man? You have to look him in the eye when you kill him, you know? Uh, When you pull the trigger, you have to mean it. Yes, you shoot him and you watch the life drain out of him. You feel his soul leave his body as it passes through yours, leaving you with a murder boner. Have you ever done that, C? It's quite a rush, but I mean, it's terribly haunting. Wait, what are we talking about here? Oh, yes. You and you have a license to kill. It's also a license not to kill what is he talking about Bo? well he's the ability to have mercy here's the thing i feel like i have a license not to kill and using his logic and the transitive property of equality if a license to kill is also a license not to kill and i have a license not to kill which i feel like i do then i think i might have a license to kill i can't fault the logic in that again in a better movie this would be putting a finer point on this idea of like oh if you use just drone technology and ai that doesn't have the capacity to weigh the the concepts of of mercy and that kind of thing but again that's way too smart for this movie c ignores all of this and he's like "Mm, yes well listen to this and then c plays a recording of james bond and money penny working in cahoots with one another to track down mr white right he just hits play and it's like so who is him again 
M M is the lady and the man. Wait, the one what died? You know how many times that I've had to sign off on an expense report for the lady M to say that it was me shits that clogged up the toilet when it was really hers? She just craps out bricks. It was amazing. M is like, hmm, so you monitor MI6 agents too? And she's like, oh, we monitor everyone. You can't imagine how truly disturbing humans are. I mean, shockingly disgusting creatures when no one's watching. I saw a video of a man cleaning his toes in between with a matchbox car and then he licked the car clean with his mouth as he reviewed a video of he and his now divorced wife sharing their initial nuptials and that man was a coach of a professional football team this is not some commoner the one thing i have learned in all of this m is that we are equal in one way our depravity i have seen more things in people's rectums than any man ever should we cut to this black and white surveillance footage of the cottage where mr white shot himself in the head remember that scene where james bond was pickpocketing a corpse <laughs> Yeah. And we now see some more birds are eating Mr. White's decomposing body and Mr. Hanks shows up and he looks up and sees the camera mounted on the wall that is filming this black and white footage because there's a big red light on it. And I'm thinking, you know, this Mr. Hanks, he would make a really good secret agent. You know, he's real spy material with that keen attention to detail of his surroundings. Not like James Bond. He hasn't blown up a city yet. He's already <laughs> more competent than Bond. We cut to James Bond arriving at the Hofner Clinic. High up in the Alps and there are snow-covered mountains everywhere and at first I thought didn't James Bond blow up this place and on Her Majesty's Secret Service? We built it back baby bigger and better than ever. It's got hot tubs and jacuzzis galore. <laughs> hey spend a day in the cold on the slopes spend your nights in the heat in the jacuzzis one in every room 50% less hypnosis. You like chicken? You will before you leave. It was much better than cats. Bond arrives and he's admitted as a patient. He walks in and he meets Dr. Madeline Swan, who is the daughter of the currently being eaten Mr. White. Mm -hmm. Dr. Madeline Swan is played by Leah Seydoux, who's a lovely actress. She was in Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol. That's kind of the only thing I know her from. I'm telling you, look, the world needs to see blue as the warmest color. It is one of the best movies about relationships I've ever seen. You've recommended it to me multiple times, but the runtime on it? If you can spend 10 hours with this movie, you can spend <laughs> three with Blue is the Warmest Color. It is brilliant. But anyway, so she is like, oh, hello, Mr. Bond. Please let me close the blinds because sometimes they can be quite distracting. Bond is like, oh, I didn't notice. Being a scamp. <laughs> he said, what? Oh, I didn't notice. Because he's a little scamp. And then she uh, she's asking like typical questions like, you know. You did not you did not f finish filling out your questionnaire. I'm going to ask you some questions. Go right ahead, huh? Uh, first question, Mr. Bond. Um, do you exercise? All the time. Uh, next question. Uh, is your job stressful? Um, only when I'm shooting people. And sometimes running. And blowing up buildings and cities. And piloting helicopters. And when they're shooting back at me. Yeah, that, that gets real tense. Sometimes I get strapped to bombs. Uh, one time I was in space. That was pretty stressful. So yeah, yeah, in general, I'd say it's pretty stressful. One time a guy tried to cut off me dick with a laser. That was pretty crazy. Got stuck in this mine, right? And it was me and this beautiful black Amazon lady. And she had to pump herself on this little rail car with a bunch of bombs and exploded herself right before I had to climb on top of a blimp. All that happened in this course of like 30 minutes. So that was a really, really stressful like half hour. That is 
uh, interesting. Um, let me ask you, how much alcohol do you consume, Mr. Bond? Well, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you because I was opening up this booze here. I keep a little bit of whiskey in this pocket. I got some Guinness. My mom, she loved Guinness. So I keep some Guinness in a flask here, lukewarm, just like everyone likes it. So you carry alcohol around with you at all times? I uh, drink all the time, alone. I hide liquor everywhere I can. I use it as an escape, really. That is fantastic. Um, security, please stand by. Um, a couple more questions. Uh, Mr. Bond, would you like to tell me about your parents? I will punch you in the face. They died in a climbing accident, and I got raised by someone else. They were climbing the stairs, they were, and they took an unfortunate tumble. And as they were tumbling down the stairs, the guns they was holding in their hands accidentally went off six times, hitting them in the torso. And then as they came to a rest at the bottom of the staircase, they accidentally stabbed themselves 14 times in the chest. It was kind of a climbing accident slash unintended suicide. I, I watched them as with their last breaths, they clawed the cold earth in the yard and buried themselves in shallow graves. Before they finally laid themselves to rest with no one else watching because I definitely wasn't there, they wrote out this note and perfectly matched my handwriting to say that I had nothing to do with it. It said, James Bond, my son. <laughs> Dear fascist bully boys, James Bond had nothing to do with this. Sincerely, my mom. <laughs> Boom shaker, your parents. Then Mrs. Swan says, that is fascinating. I'm going to sit a little bit farther away from you for a moment. Um, who raised you, Mr. Bond? He's like, hey, look, we'll get to that mystery answer in Act 3, we will, okay? You stick with me, girl, or you'll get all the answers to your question. <laughs> yeah. She says, you did not fill out your occupation, Mr. Bond? Yeah, uh, it's kind of hard to put it all in that little box, right? I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades. Um, I do some murdering, sure. I kill lots of people. But I also cut glass. I defuse bombs. I blow up blimps. I pickpocket. Look for cash or jewels to sell. It's a side hustle. I'm certainly keeping the lie industry in business. I've got an app I've proposed called Stabber, where you pick up your phone, you put in who you want to have murdered, and guys like me show up and kill them. We stab them and shoot them. Or if you want to get killed, you go into Stabber and say, and then you show up and you, you get killed. I haven't worked out the financials on it, but I think it's got legs. We've got another. It's called Punch Landing. Now, what you do is you put this app on your phone. You pay $9.99 a month and you hit the button whenever you're on the landing of some stairs somewhere and it sends an alert and those same guys will, will come stab you, will come to this landing and they'll just beat the shit out of you. They won't kill you though. Alright, that's the most important thing. They're not going to kill you. They're just going to beat the holy fuck out of you. Put you in hospital, they will. You're going to spend a couple of days in the hospital. That's, that's a guarantee. But you're going to go down some steps they're going to bang your head against the wall. You're going to see some plaster broken. It's going to be real exciting. Target market for this one is really, you know, guys who don't want to go through with weapons. All right? <laughs> um, people who really don't want to go into work and need a good excuse. I mean, we get our fair share of thrill seekers and the like that just want the experience of being beating the shit out of. You know, in occupation, right now, entrepreneur. I think that that's probably what I do. Do you know anybody who works at Shark Tank? Hey, also, can drinking be in this box too? <laughs> I know we talked about it up above. <laughs> But I feel like I do it enough that is kind of a part-time job. It definitely <laughs> compromises the rest of my work. 
You know, one other thing, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier or not, your dad's Mr. White, right? Well, um, he's dead. Look, I didn't do it. Okay, based on everything I said, I know you're thinking I'm probably suspect number one. I did not kill your father, all right? I was there. But I didn't do it. How were you there when he died? Look, I was there to kill him. Right? I'm going to admit that. Uh, that was my intent, to murder this asshole, your father, all right? But I didn't do it because, um, well, he got me gun. I gave it to him. and <laughs> I'm a pretty good spy. And then we were sitting at a teeny tiny table, like it, like the size of a checkerboard. And he, I gave him me gun, and then he shot himself in the head. And did you do anything to try to stop my father from killing himself? Oh, no, no. I gotta admit, it kind of put me on my heels. I thought he might shoot me. Never occurred to me he might shoot himself. Now, when I say I'm a super spy, that's more of a job title and not a description of maybe how I go about the job. I'm more of a mediocre super spy. I didn't hit the target, but, you know, I hit the tree on that one, so... I still collected the money. Oh, speaking of money, I went through his pockets and I took all of his cash and a picture of you when you was a little girl. I'll tell you what, I'll go halvesies on the money and the picture. Side of the picture you want. <laughs> Madeline Swan says, this interview is over. Get out. I'm calling security. So Bond gets up and leaves and he goes down to this bar where all they sell are green smoothies. And suddenly Q shows up. Q says, uh, fancy meeting you here, Bond. And I am in deep shit because of you. And also, Franz Oberhauser is dead. And if we we've learned anything from James Bond movies. When someone dies, they never take on another identity and become the bad guy of the film. Now you come back with me right now, mister, or both my career and money, Penny's career, are going to be over. And Bond's just like, yeah, yeah, but hey, look, I found this ring, and how about you look up and do some more of my dirty work, and then I don't do none of that stuff you said. And then he's like, well, all right, I guess I'll meet you back at the hotel. Yeah, give me about an hour, hour and a half. I might take a shit. When you say an hour, hour and a half, does that mean twice as long wink wink or three times as long wink 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 or does that really just mean an hour and a half i don't know james bond math look you're really putting me in a place where i kind of want to shoot you on account of all the winking so i'm gonna be there in about an hour wink wink but you did the wink right does that mean an hour no i'm trying to speak your language an hour wink wink is an hour oh i i understand Q fucks off, and there's a bad joke here where James Bond tells the barista, like, won't you take that drink you were going to make me and put it right in the toilet, because that's where it was going to go. Take out the middleman, huh? Because if I drink that, I'm going to be shitting for days. My body knows two things, whiskey and red meat. If I eat or drink anything else, my body immediately expels it out my asshole. Yeah, the only thing green I'm pouring into this body is cream to mint. Maybe some food coloring if it happens to be St. Patrick's Day. Bond then happens to see Madeline Swan being taken by some goons and Mr. Hinks. Yeah, they showed up there. That's bad news. Bond gives chase. He has to knock out the security guard. And there is a nice moment. Again, this is the Bond I want where a, another security guard is coming at him and he goes, stay. And the guy does. He's like, all right, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> this looks like it's above my pay grade. Those moments where he's like way out of the league of a rent-a-cop and just straight up dispatches them easily. That's the stuff where I'm like, okay, this is kind of the James Bond I dig. That's a, a rent-a-cop. Is, he's going to go through like a warm knife through butter. But the Mr. Hinkses of the world are the people who can give him some fight. You know? Give me one second. Hang on. I've lost my place in my notes. Uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to run and take a, a leak real quick. All right. Yeah. Let's pause here for a moment. All right. Why did human number one stop talking? Oh, he had to, he just had to go to the bathroom. Is he taking a bath? No, he's probably just using the toilet.
Is human number one releasing urine or feces? I'm guessing it's urine, but who knows? They're changing the subject, Pixix, but do you think the, the show's going well? It is adequate. Human number two. Can I ask you a question? Wait, there's something you don't know that I know? Absolutely, I'll answer your question. Settle down. Don't get so full of yourself. You're still a functioning moron according to my calculations. I want to know. Um. Is human number one. You know. Seeing anybody. Is Bo dating anybody? Yes. What I am asking is the status of human number one being on the market. I, Bo's not married, if that's what you're asking. Wait, didn't you say that you had a boo earlier? That's a purely physical relationship. We hook up, do the deed, and go our separate ways. By the way, you keep your mouth shut about that situation, or I'll cut you. <laughs> Holy shit. So will you put in a good word for me with human number one? <laughs> Are you going to cut me if I don't put in a good word with Bo? Intentional omission of positive input to human number one has a 93.4% likelihood of Pick 6 Bot giving you a hillbilly C-section. You know, you have some real issues, Pick 6 Bot, but yes, I will put in a good word for you with Bo. But if you really want to find Bo's soft spot, it's with quizzes. Why don't you give Bo a, like a James Bond quiz? I'm sure he'll be very impressed with that. Oh, here comes, here comes Bo. Sh -sh -sh hold on. I am here. Hey Bo, Pick 6 Bot would like to ask you a question. Human number one, shall we play a game? I would love to play a game. The name of this game is Bad Guy, Bond Girl, or Sex Toy. I will give you a list of 20 names. Your challenge is to successfully identify each name as a 007 Bad Guy, a Bond Girl, or one of the 24 best sex toys for couples in 2020 as cited in Women's Health Magazine. Great. All right. I, I feel like I'm going to do very well at this. You a big reader of Women's Health Magazine? No, uh, just a fan of sex toys in general. Begin simulation in 3, 2, 1. Honey Rider. That is a Bond Girl. Yes, from Dr. No. Rabbit Lily. That is a sex toy. It is a vibrator. Lay Shift. That's a Bond villain. Yes, from Casino Royale. Iroh Hamidori. Ooh, I'm gonna say that is a sex toy? It is. It is a vibrator that looks like a squishable stress ball. Great, okay. Shatterhand. I mean, that's gotta be a sex toy. <laughs> no, it's the villain from You Only Live Twice, but in the novel. Oh, that's a bummer. Human number two. Stop interrupting. Continue simulation in three, two, one. We vibe Moxie. Oh, I mean, that's got to be a sex toy, right? We vibe? It's a wearable vibrator that you put in your underwear. That is, That does take some Moxie. Kissy Suzuki. Oh, that's a Bond girl. Because it's it's racially insensitive, so that's how you know. Leloida. Mm, I'm going to say Bond villain? It is a female version of a cock ring. Oh, oh, all right. Scaramanga. Oh, that's a Bond villain. Yes, the man with the golden gun. Franz Sanchez. Hmm. Uh, Bond villain? It is from License to Kill. We just talked about this movie. Uh, yeah, I, I it threw me because I was like, I know Franz was that really his first name in that Maybe, movie? I don't okay. Know. Maybe. Yeah. Electric King. Uh that's a Bond girl. Correct. From the world is not enough. Oh nut. Uh that's gotta be a sex toy. It is. It's stackable rings that you put around your penis to prevent unwanted deep penetration. It's best for men with exceptionally long penises or for women that have unusually shallow vaginas. Like you gotta tell me. <laughs> Solitaire. Uh, Solitaire is a Bond girl. Yes, from Live and Let Die. Yeah, the underage virgin, yeah. Holly Goodhead. Um, Holly Goodhead is also a Bond girl. Sensolate Point. Uh, sex toy. Yes, pocket-sized vibrator with 20 different speeds. Mm. Mine only has 19. Yeah, you've got, you've got that 2018 model. It's just not getting the job done anymore. I need to upgrade. Human number two, stop interrupting. Remember what I said about that hillbilly C-section. You need to zip it, lock it, and stick it in your pocket. Continue simulation in 3, 2, 1. Mr. Big. Uh, Bond villain? Yes, from Live and Let Die. Holly Warm Flash. <laughs> oh, 
Bond girl. Love, honey. Oh, uh, sex toy. Yeah, it's a brand of sexy dice that has uh, one die has a noun on it, one has an adverb, and one has a verb. And Bo, if we've learned nothing from the movie Outbreak, it was that adverbs are a lazy tool of the weak mind. <laughs> yes, that is absolutely true. And that a vaccine for a deadly virus can be made from monkey blood in about 15 seconds. Yeah, all, as soon as you've got the blood, you're done. <laughs> I think science has taught us that again and again. Strawberry Fields. Uh, Strawberry Fields is a Bond girl. Tom Boney Harness. That's a sex toy. Correct. It is female underwear that holds a vibrator and or a dildo like a man's penis. Hmm. You did much better than I thought you would do, considering your aversion or unlikeitude towards all things James Bond. I had the advantage of having done the introduction on the Bond girls. And uh, as I said, you know, I'm a sex toy enthusiast, Chad. I know that you are. So. <laughs> well, I didn't tell you this earlier, but I think that Pick Six Bot might have a crush on you. Human number two, you are an asshole. Pick Six Bot initiating digital diary application. Begin transcription of embarrassing personal thoughts of current situation in three, two, one. <laughs> Let's get back to talking about our movie. So Bond gives Q the ring and says, "Oh, right, go figure out what you can with this little octopus ring." So Q agrees to help Bond, and I think that Q was just a little scared of Bond. I'm a little scared of James Bond. He's just a character in a movie. I know James Bond can't hurt me, but I'm still a little scared of him. I mean, don't be in a helicopter with him. He's it's fists <laughs> of fury. Outside the clinic, Mister Hanks tosses Doctor Madeline Swan into the back of a black SUV and snow is everywhere. So Bond runs out of the clinic. He's like the Terminator. He's just like marching along, shooting people. He punches one guy. Q goes over and gets into this oversized enclosed ski lift gondola that is going to take him down the mountainside. And then a suspicious character gets on the lift with Q and then Q starts examining the ring on his supercomputer laptop. And doing technology stuff. Meanwhile, James Bond has stolen a plane from somewhere. Where? They're at the top of this mountain. There's not a, a landing strip. It was airplane store. Oh, he flies after the cars that Madeline Swan is part of, like this little convoy. So Madeline Swan's in the back seat with a henchman. Dave Bautista is in the front seat riding shotgun and a henchman's driving. And this henchman in the back seat is going to pump Dr. Madeline Swan full of sedatives. But she yeah. just grabs the syringe from this dude and just stabs him in the heart, a la Vincent Vega and Mia Wallace. And that dude is out. Bautista just pulls his gun on her to kind of quiet her down like, look. I like the pluck, but quit fucking around back there. When Bond flies alongside the road on this mountain with this airplane, dude, he is just casually firing his gun out the window at this moving car. There is an equal chance that he is going to hit a bad guy as there is him hitting the woman who he is trying to protect. Yeah, but Bautista, for his part, has some kind of god killer gun Good Lord. that is just punching holes in the side of this plane. They're the size of softballs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we kind of cut away from that action for a second to get to Q, who sees that now that he is in danger. He scans the ring and it brings up the James Bond wiki fan page, where we get to see all of the mug shots of the bad guys from the past Daniel Craig James Bond movies, including Green and Lashif and Silva and uh, Skiara, our most recent edition, and they're all deceased. Yeah, I really love, like, here's how we have to dumb down computers for the movies, and it's all just giant graphics and stuff once he re realizes like oh shit not only is bond right 
but there are people in this particular gondola who seem to mean me harm. Fortunately, a, like a crowd of skiers gets on and Q is able to kind of lose himself in, in that crowd and get away. He runs off. There's like two bad guys after him. Q looks like the kind of person who was raised by a mom that ingrained in him to be fearful of everyone and quite honestly, everything around him. Yeah. You can't go outside if it's raining and you can't go outside when it's sun shining. That'll burn your skin. The wind is too strong today, Q. The snow will bruise you. It's heavy snow today. He's a little like Eddie from It. Come along, Quentin. Go inside and play on your computer. Yes, mother. Be sure to use your inhaler. But mom, I don't have asthma. Yes, you do. (laughs) You need to wear these special shoes. They'll help you walk better. They hurt my feet, mother. Put them on. We cut back to Bond, who is playing chicken with this convoy of SUVs with his plane. Again, creating a dangerous situation that may result in just everybody's death. What is his end game here? I mean, it's like, all right, look, Bond, quick thinking. Steal that point. All right. right, Good job, James. Now what? Just shoot him. Ah, All right, Bond, what are you going to do now? Shooting didn't work. What if I shoot the plane at him? What if the air is a gun and the plane is the bullet? Yeah, he dive bombs the airplane into the SUV that is transporting the woman that he needs to not be dead. One of the SUVs careens off the road and something in the movie finally explodes other than Mexico City. Well, we all kind of knew that that was going to happen sooner or later. Right. And then we cut back to the cable car, which hasn't started moving. And then Q hears the voice of his mom saying, Strangers are danger. Run, Q. Run as fast as you can, little boy. And so Q leaps from the cable car. He runs around and he does ducks into uh, authorized personnel-only access door, something that his mother taught him on his 10th birthday. Back to Bond, who has no conceivable plan to save Dr. Madeline Swan. He flies the plane low to the ground, where the laws of physics show up to assist all of these trees around him in removing the wings of his airplane, Yeah, but it leaves the part with the engines still attached to the wings, so we got some forward momentum still happening, and the landing gear crashes into some cut logs. It just strips off the wheel. So piece by piece, he is dismantling this as part of his master plan to save Dr. Madeline Swan. A la A View to a Kill, where James Bond's car kept getting chopped in half. This plane is getting knocked to pieces. And he ends up busting through this barn, ramming the Jeep that does not have Madeline Swan in it. That Jeep spins, and then the last SUV crashes into that Jeep. Yeah, sending Mr. Hanks through the windshield to lay lifeless on the hood of the car. That's all right. But it also... Also kind of fucks up Madeline Swan, who happened to be in that accident too. If he'd been a half a second later, he would have killed her. Yeah, so Bond has to rescue her from the wreckage he has just created. Again, just being a Tasmanian devil in this movie of destruction. So Dr. Madeline Swan says, Did it ever cross your mind that you led them to me? And Bond's just like, Oh, I didn't even think about that. You're not wrong, all right? I'm willing to say mistakes have been made, but I'm your best chance of staying alive. I'm leaving you. And he's like, hey, 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 look, I don't have time to argue with you, all right? I need you to tell me about Lee American, all right? Also, I got a standing appointment with this guy named Q. I gotta go meet him at his hotel room. How about you come with me? And then we cut to Mr. Hanks, whose body is just laying broken and bleeding on the hood of this SUV because he just went through the windshield after crashing into... <laughs> To another car that's on fire and his hand raises his fingers oh so gently so we the audience know that he'll make a full recovery right and come back later in the movie yeah he's not just gonna be a vegetable who occasionally has neural responses that 
which is fingers and toes. You're at the scene of a car crash, and a person is in the condition that we have found Mr. Hanks, and you see a pinky wiggle? That's not going to change my ill-informed diagnosis of impending death of this man. I mean, he's yeah. clearly got internal bleeding, organ failure, cardiac arrest. Right. There's going to be traumatic brain injury. Like, it's one of those things like when the paramedics show up, they're like, hey, do, do we need to strap his neck down? They're like, no, just get him on the stretcher. Like, there's no reason to take care. He's going to be pissing out of his foot like Felix for the rest of his life. Yeah, if he makes it to the truck, I'll be surprised, okay? <laughs> time of death is whatever time it is. Subtract 30 minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to hook this guy up to a machine and cause his family heartache? Fine. If that's what you want to do, I'm taking the more humane approach. I'm going to let nature take its course here. Yeah, lift up the sheet. Just lift it up. Yeah! Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Right. That's what we call the full Felix, all right? The guy went face first through a windshield of an SUV. If he survives, there is a 100% chance diapers are going to be in his future forever. Yeah. You know what this guy's favorite meal is going to be? Pudding. You know what every meal is going to be? Pudding. Through a straw or a tube of some kind. Dr. Madeline Swan and James Bond go to visit Q, who is hiding in his hotel room with the lights off and the curtains drawn. Mama would be so proud of her little man. Um, he opens the door. Hey! Hey, it's just me and this lady. Hey, who are you again? Q tells Bond that the ring belongs to a secret organization and that all the bad guys are linked to Franz Oberhauser, a.k.a. Blofeld, with a DNA match to a man who is dead. Yeah. And this is a real strange, this is a strange leap of deduction, not uncommon in James Bond movies. And Swan immediately pitches in like, Yes, I know. It is called Spectre. My father was part of it. While she is revealing that, there's a news report on television. Yeah, Q just turns on the TV. Hmm, whatever. I'm going to see what's <laughs> happening in the world. Yeah, boring. Let's see what's happening at Real Housewives. He goes over to Real News CNN. He sees that a bomb has blown up in South Africa. So you're like, oh man, now the South Africans are going to be on board with the Nine Eyes program. And Bond tells Q, hey, you need to get back to London and me and Swan are going to go find this Lamerican guy. Can you do me a favor? Could you go back to me apartment and put some pillows underneath the sheets in me bed? And then I've got a tape recorder there of snoring sounds. Turn that on and then tell him to stop by, but don't wake me up. And that way he'll think I'm in London. I got this whole tape recorder thing. So if he shows up and rings the bell, then the speaker's gonna say, Hello? I'm sorry. I'm too sick to come to the door. And then, you. Me and you, we're going to have a day out. We're going to go everywhere in London. We're going to get food at the greatest places. I'm going to call you the Haggis King of Chicago. Probably going to find ourselves on top of a parade float singing Donka Shane and then twist and shout. It'll be fantastic, you and me, you. <laughs> we're going to have an adventure in your dad's car. And then at the end of it, we're all going to learn something about ourselves. I'll tell you, be sure you tell Sloan to meet me outside the high school. What are you talking about, Bond? I don't know. I just saw the TV came on, and that was what, what was happening on the TV. Q tells Bond, you've got to go find Le American. He's your only hope. And Dr. Madeline Swan chimes up and she says, Le American is not a person, it is a place. So we cut to Tangier in Morocco, mm -hmm. and we see more shots of our two main actors kind of walking along against the crowd. They end up at this hotel, and they go to this room. And Dr. Madeline Swan says, this is where her parents spent their wedding night, and they came back here every year. It's kind of gross, but okay. Bond just starts ripping up the place. He's like, Oi, it's gonna be a clue hidden in somewhere. <laughs> 
Yeah. Under the floorboard. <laughs> Super spy James Bond at your service. Just give me a hammer. I'm going to start banging on some walls. Hold on a second. Room service. Could you send up a case of whiskey? I've really got to get drunk to destroy this place. I want you to put on a couple of hoot records. And then I'm going to get real drunk. And then we're going to see if we find some clues. And that's kind of his plan. So yeah. he starts banging up the place. He, they do find a bottle of booze, in which he immediately opens up. And is like, hey, you want some of this? No? Great. And just starts <laughs> drinking this decades-old bottle of booze that he finds in the chimney. Whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. <laughs> that's what I say. Yeah, little tattoos of a guy leaning of a guy leaning against a bar and vomiting. Pop up on each bicep, and so he destroys this whole place and doesn't find shit other than this booze. She passes out on the bed and then he sees a mouse that comes crawling in and in a fit of, I don't know, like schizophrenia, James Bond pulls out his gun and aims it at the mouse and he's like, hey, who shit you? Who are you working for? And I'm like, what is going on in this movie? He's just drunk. He's just good old fashioned drunk, Chad. <laughs> so this mouse runs over to a hole in the wall, like the ones you would see Jerry Mouse escape into during a Tom and Jerry cartoon. And Bond walks over and pours some booze on the ground. If I could, Chad, I want to point out that it's later in the night. Madeline Swan has already gone to bed and James Bond has moved on from this mystery <laughs> bottle of liquor to just <laughs> Heineken's. Like he just has kept the party going. Like at some point called Rubes, all right. Send up some Heineken. They're paying for this movie. It's fine. I don't want anything green. What did he say? He said he wanted something green. Then, you know, super spy James Bond is like, Oi, that mouse ran into a part of the room. What shouldn't be there? I should pour some beer on the ground and share it with my little mouse buddy. (laughs) My mouse friend went away. Well, let me find him. Come back, mouse. He pours booze on the ground that then disappears under the baseboards of the wall. And James Bond immediately is like, hey, I'll bet there's a secret hidden room behind this wall. I'm like, no, you just have uneven floors of an old building in Morocco. And he just, in a fit of rage, punches his fist through the wall. Luckily, there is a secret room on the other side. Madeline Swan wakes up thinking her life is in danger. They go into this secret room to discover what was waiting for them at Le American. One note about this secret room, Chad. How long did this Mr. White dude book this room for the first time? And why didn't the hotel be like, hey, our room is noticeably smaller <laughs> after you checked out of it? You think room service walked in and they were like, wasn't there a door there? Wasn't this room not L-shaped originally? Wasn't there a whole area right here? Did they repaint this wall? <laughs> Yeah, is, is it the wallpaper? Something is different. I can't put my finger on That's it. That's less square footage that I got to clean up. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> right? It was a conspiracy of lazy silence. <laughs> uh, and nobody in management ever noticed that they had sufficiently or su- substantially less floor space. And they and also, how did he get in year to year? Did he have to bust the wall in every year? <laughs> God damn it. I got to spend like I got to spend one day taking the wall down. I then I I spent some time in my secret spy room and then another day putting all the drywall back up. 
maybe he just had a passion for home repair. It, you know, he he loved his work. Uh, you, know, you never work a day in your life. They go in the secret room and on the walls are all these photos of Dr. Madeline Swan as a child and her dad. And Bond rifles through some papers and he finds this VHS tape that says Vesper Lind interrogation. And she was the woman from the earlier James Bond films with Daniel Craig. And he just tosses it. He's like, oh. She's dead. Don't need to think about that anymore. So then Bond fires up this computer. Dr. Madeline Swan finds some coordinates on a piece of paper. This computer apparently was being used by Mr. White to find Blofeld. And Dr. Madeline Swan says, I'm coming with you, James Bond. I want to understand what happened to my father. And he's like, hey, I told you what happened. You remember? I went down, gave him a gun, and he shot himself in the head. Then birds ate him. Oh, what? Did I forget to tell you that birds ate him? No, you left out that detail because it was kind to do so. But uh, I want to go because... I. I want to understand my father, not just the moment he died, but sort of his life that led to Z's death. Well, if we're really talking about details here, as soon as he shot himself, he pissed and shit all over the place. (laughs) He just poured out under the chair. It was like a waterfall. It smelled terrible. It was like Judy Dinchbag. You should have a drink. Maybe that would keep you quiet. I got one. It's in my hand, in my boot, in my coat pocket. <laughs> so they find a bunch of coordinates to this satellite phone that Mr. White was tracking that point to the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And, and we cut back to London where M and Moneypenny greet C as he is coming out of this new meeting where the Nine Eyes program has now been approved after this explosion uh, that we saw on the television. South Africa got on board. Right. And as he walks past them, C says, oh, by the way, we're closing down the double program. For the sake of our timeline, we had a week. On day three, the vote was taken in Tokyo and South Africa said no. Okay. So this happened on day four, five, or six. So the day after that, I'm assuming let's, let's really tighten this up. On day four, C has a terrorist bomb blow up in South Africa. So this is what day five or six like this is 48 hours later that they've been able to reconvene to get them on board well you know you want to wrap this up quick i admire at least the efficiency you know it took the was it took Mussolini to make the trains run on time? S- speaking of trains, Swan and Bond are on a train. James Bond is like, hey, if you're going to be out here doing spy stuff with super spy James Bond, you need to know how to use a gun. So this here is the clicky, and that makes bullets come out this end. And the bullets are the part what make holes in people. And it turns out she's like immediately like kicks the clip and is popping the safety and, you know. Ejecting the one in the chamber. Yeah. Right, all that stuff. And... And uh, it's very clear she knows how to operate a gun. And she says, look, one day I came in to find a man who was there to kill my father. Uh, He did not know that I was in my room. I got the drop on him. This is why I hate guns. So she killed the guy? Is that what you took that? Right. And then Bond says, hey, I bet we skipped a hand-to-hand combat, huh? You know? Like six. We cut to M sitting in this brown derby style restaurant where he's doing a little Larry King Jr. cosplay. And Q and Moneypenny show up to tell M that Q has tracked James Bond using the smart blood in Bond's body to what appears to be maybe an empty crater where a meteorite is hit in northern Africa. That's right. But just putting the word smart in front of a product does not make it smart. Like, smart water is no more smart than Smarties. Or when people call this series the Smart Bond. (laughs) I think the makers of Smart Water forgot to put quotation marks around the word smart. (laughs) And water. 
Have you seen what's in it? They should, at the very least, they should put an asterisk at the end of it. You know, <laughs> a little disclaimer. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. It's regular water. Did you really believe that this was smart water? <laughs> if you see something that contains both quotes and an asterisk in the title, steer far clear of it. That's like calling American cheese a cheese product. M tells Q and Moneypenny, we can't help Bond. We're only giving C more information. Delete all of the smart blood files and the backup electrolytes that we've injected into them. Remember, Q. Plants don't grow in toilets. I felt so bad for Ray Fiennes here. Having to say things like, delete all the smart blood files. You're just like, ugh, I'm sorry. Let's get back to the train. It's night and Bond shows up in his tuxedo, looking like a million bucks. Dr. Madeline Swan shows up, dressed like Grace Kelly. These two look awesome. So they start flirting because it's a James Bond movie. And I think this is the scene where these two fall in love or whatever it is that happens to women in a James Bond movie. I do like her saying, you should not stare. And he says, hey then you shouldn't look like that. I, th- I think that's a pretty funny response to it. They start slugging down vodka and making goo-goo eyes, and they have this really boring personal moment, uh, which is fortunately interrupted by Mr. Hinks, who walks up, kicks over the table, because Hinks has fully recovered from the tragic car accident from, what, yesterday? Earlier <laughs> yeah. this morning? You know, he shook it off, rubbed some dirt on it. Hinks and Bond start beating the shit out of each other. It was like watching Wesley fight Fezzik in The Princess Bride. Hinks is huge, and and James Bond, by comparison, is not. And also, there's no music in this scene. It's very reminiscent of James Bond fighting Oddjob, or more to the point, the train fight scene in From Russia with Love, where Bond fights assassin Red Grant, as played by Robert Shaw. There's a, a moment, too, where Swan tries to hit Bautista with a candlestick or something, and he backhands her mm-hmm. in a way that's like, oh, wow, she took one of the the face pretty good there this is by far my favorite sequence in the whole movie is him like this fight that goes from this car like down to the luggage car they're just fighting and throwing each other through doors and shit at one point bond throws a candle at hinks and it has like oil in it and it catches hinks on fire and hinks never speaks in this movie well he says like one word but he just casually takes off his jacket that is just engulfed in flames yeah and tosses it aside as they just continue to beat the shit out each other and then james bond throws pasta at hinks (laughs) yeah if that doesn't slow him down nothing will yeah it's just like this good visceral like they're it's not fighting dirty it's just fighting with whatever shit is around like whatever's going to give you an advantage hinks has beaten the shit out of him so much there's this great moment where bond throws a punch but it's just the weakest shit of just like he is (laughs) he has just had it man he is done and he's about to get tossed off this train and he's still fighting but he is clearly beaten and then swan appears with a gun and hits mr hinks in the shoulder and so he kind of ducks out of the way and behind some uh boxes and shit that are in one of the storage cars he basically just waits her out until she just randomly fires bullets until she's out he grabs her but bond has now gotten back on his feet and because they both have like wolverine super healing he is completely recovered from the ass beating that he's been taken yep and he takes a rope chokes Bautista with it and then hooks this rope on some beer kegs that are being pulled out of the train the kegs are attached to one another by a linking chain right which then is connected to the rope which is connected to Hinks right so when the last keg goes 
the rope goes taut and yanks <clears throat> Bautista out. Hanks looks up and goes, mother. This is absolutely hands down my favorite sequence in the movie because it, it's a good action sequence. It has a good resolution. Did you think Hanks was dead? No. So you expected him to show up later? I absolutely did because he's the Bond mini boss. He doesn't show up. He's gone. Which is kind of a bummer because he's kind of the best character in the movie as far as a villain goes. He poked a guy's eyeballs out with his thumbs. Right. And, and got kegged out of a train. It was cool. Then Swan is like, so what do we do now? Immediate cut to them fucking in the train car. Again, I appreciate this of like, hey, blood spray. Look, I gotta tell you, I'm really worked up right now. I don't think I could sleep. What you see here is something I like to call a murder boner. <laughs> and this is a kind of boner you don't let go to waste, all right? This is the boner of a 14-year-old boy walking down the hall of a middle school. Alright? They don't get harder than this one. This is as good as I got. Give me a fiber. Let me show you something. Give me a gun. Watch this. Pew! Right off me cock. It's fucking bulletproof. Alright? I don't want that anywhere near my vagina or my anus or my mouth or my hand or me. I'm going to get another room. I'm going to get another car. I'm going to get on another train. I'm going to get away from you, sir. I'll tell you what. You can text me and tell me all about it. But I may not see those messages till the morning. So the next day, our train stops in the middle of the desert. <laughs> yeah. It's like one <laughs> station in the middle of a sea of dunes. <laughs> right, the, the train apparently goes to the planet Arrakis. They're alone, and then from off in the distance, we see a 1948 Rolls-Royce Silver Wraith come rolling up, and it's the Rolls-Royce that we last saw in Goldfinger, tip of the hat. Bond and Dr. Madeline Swan, they get into the Rolls-Royce, and off they go to this oasis in the desert and as they're driving dr madeline swan leans over to james bond and says james bond i'm scared and then james bond takes her hand because he's a gentleman you know he moved it over to his crotch <laughs> she's like stop it hey i still got a little bit of that murder boner left over <laughs> you know they say to call a doctor if it lasts more than four hours this is going on 36 it's all natural no drugs or nothing go on touch it don't be afraid of it you know what's weird about it is that when he does this look at this let me take off my shoe my feet turn purple they're totally numb can't feel nothing in them that's why i can run so fast right now i don't think that makes sense but when they arrive at this place this flunky shows up and he's like oh welcome please mr bond and they hold out a tray and he's like what where's the drinks on it and they're like no no put something on there oh he means my murder boner. <laughs> Put the tray a little bit lower. I can't get it. Look, it's impressive, but it ain't that tall. Then they're like, no, dummy, we need your gun. Oh, right. The other weapon. Right. And then puts it on the silver tray. It's a butler holding this tray. Yeah. Like, how did that guy get this job? This is very easy. You just hold the tray until someone puts something on it, and then you take it away. And then you bring the tray back when it's empty. <laughs> when someone puts it on there, you take it away, and then you return. So... What do I do after somebody puts something on the tray? Lots of luck, smartass. <laughs> Look, you tell that to Blofeld. You let you let that guy down a couple of times. Huh? And find yourself in a shallow, snowy grave. And then, uh, so, they're being taken to their rooms, and inside uh, this room, it's like industrial buildings kind of around this compound that he sees through their, their personal rooms. Kind of looks like the domes we saw in Die Another Day. It's all very industrial in this oasis in the desert. Like, there's transplanted sod, and it's being watered, but, you know, outside of that, it's just nothing but sand and misery. Yeah. There's a picture, it's the one of uh, Bond in the the surrogate father Oberhauser but this time there is a 
a digitally de-aged Christoph Waltz in the picture with him as well. Blofeld is in the picture with James Bond as a boy and this surrogate dad. Right. And if this was supposed to come as a surprise, I, I think it kind of misses its mark. Bo, did you ever see that third Austin Powers movie, Goldmember? Yeah. It turns out that the writers of this movie also saw it because, you see, Bo, James Bond and Blofeld, they aren't just enemies, but much like Austin Powers and Dr. Evil, they're brothers. Holy shit. I never thought about that. That's <laughs> a, But you're absolutely right. That's very funny. This is essentially kind of the plot. It's completely the plot. Without... Beyonce and the time travel and the guy who eats his scabs <laughs> right better movie it's not a good movie but it's way better than this <laughs> in Madeline Swan's room she has found a dress that she inexplicably puts on this must be for me like what are you wearing that for that's my girlfriend's oh I did not know it's in my room somebody put it on the bed I assumed that I should wear it or no we just hadn't moved it <laughs> it's the guest room there's some shit laying around there's also a picture in her room of her father the lunch to a bunch of crows Mr. White and Dr. Madeline Swan is a young woman so they're trying to make it a little comfortable a little something from back home to make them feel welcome they are then taken to this building it's a planetary shaped dome where they enter alone it's just bond and madeline swan and inside there's this meteorite on display uh-huh this is where blowfield kind of reveals himself and he's like <clears throat> boo boy do you guys like meteorites you can touch it if you want that's the one that made this big crater it's the oldest one in human possession are you impressed you know meteorites are an unstoppable force until they meet the earth uh, it's a Bunch of shite. This rock hit the earth and the earth stopped it. You got a labored analogy there, you do, Blofeld. You're talking about things being unstoppable, then something stops it. It's not unstoppable then, jackass. Yeah, and then he says this weird cryptic thing where he's like, Madeline Swan, I came to your home once, but you don't remember. I was dropping off some important papers, but you were taking a nap when you're back. Oh dear. You were playing with some blogs. And you accidentally spelled the word shit. <laughs> Me and your father laughed a lot, but you didn't get it because you were a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Blofeld escorts Bond and Dr. Madeline Swan across the courtyard where he explains that this compound is a place where they store. And hold on, Bo, let me check my notes here. They store information. Oh, that sounds important. <laughs> Blofeld tells James Bond, You must know that the double O programmer is officially dead. So why are you here, James Bond? And Bond says, Oh, I came here to kill you, I did. And Blofeld says, Oh, dear. I thought you came here to die. I guess that's a Goldfinger thing. That may be. Blofeld escorts James Bond and Dr. Madeline Swan into what looks like the worst office environment I've ever seen captured on film. <laughs> yeah. It is a technology sweatshop. Just let me set the scene. There's about a hundred people in this room and they're all dressed up like Steve Jobs and they're sitting in these postmodern minimalist white stools. There's no lower back support and they're all just looking at monitors just to see if something hanky's going on in the world nobody's talking to one another there's no privacy walls nobody looks to be enjoying their work it's strange that they just didn't have computers monitoring all this information like i don't know that you need this much overhead of actual people keeping an eyeball on what's happening in the world and then blofeld refers to it as this like this dystopian workplace of the future where people are just forced to monitor everything that's happening in the world at once it looks terrible 
Yeah, the closest film analog I can think of is all the drones working on the ship in the movie The Black Hole, which is basically like stumbling onto a spaceship that is kind of hell. It looks terrible. Yeah. Can you imagine if one of them farts? Everyone hears it. They all smell it. Oh boy, who was that? You made this a hostile work please. As our movie's principals walk along, Blofeld stops and by his own admission says, what an uncanny coincidence. And they all turn to watch a live video feed of M announcing his resignation to the MI6 team as Moneypenny and Q look on. And the fact that it's live is just another strange detail in this movie. I think they only made it live because it prevents Blofeld from like rolling footage on two separate events in the past. The other one's going to come up here shortly. Mm. But we get to see Bond and he's staring on as M quits and Bond's just looking like a mannequin and Blofeld says like, oh, James Bond, you're all alone now. Oh, how sad. You interfered in my world, so I destroyed yours. Bond asks him, he's like, so what? Hold on a second. What about C? Is he working for you? And he's like, oh yeah, he's a visionary like me. He gets nothing out of this, but he wanted to be part of something big and fancy like all of this. And then that's when and Blofeld starts to say that he has been the one who has been responsible for all of the tragedy that has happened in James Bond's life for the last, what, 30, 40 years? Yeah. And he's like, I, not only did I kill the women in your life, the ones that you had sex with, I also killed your beloved M. I was the author of all your pain. And then Blofeld taps a button on his iPad and the lights in the office dim and the entire staff, all 100 of them, they all just stand up, turn turn and stare at Blofeld. Could you imagine orientation at this place? Yeah. Like the rules of how to behave when Blofeld shows up? Look, Kevin, he's got this thing. He's got, he's all, you're never going to see him without his iPad. Okay. He, he's going to hit a button sometimes. What and is it? Which, now wait, which one's Blofeld? He's the guy who sounds a little like Droopy Dog. Okay. Uh, so he's going to hit a button when he comes in mm -hmm. sometimes when he's like showing off or some visitors and that kind of thing. Right. And it sort of sets some mood lighting. The mood, the lighting all goes down. Okay. And when that happens, what you want to do is you want to immediately stand up and look at it. Should, like, should I say anything? No, no. It, oh. it is in your best interest if you do not. So, and then eventually he'll bring the lights back up and then you just go back to work. Hmm. And my job is just to stare at this big TV screen. That's correct. Huh. Uh, remember, the benefits are very good. Is there a break room or a bathroom or anything around here? Oh, no, no, no. Mr. Blofeld would uh, absolutely murder you if uh, he saw you eating it so much as an apple. And by murder, I mean to kill you. That is uh, one of the, the big downsides. I've seen a lot of people come and go. Hey, you know, there's a lot of turnover around here. Mm -hmm. But not not for the people who know how to play it right. <sighs> I mean, it's easy. It, it's real easy. Do your job. When the lights go down, you stand up, you look at Blofeld. When the lights come up, back to work. At the end of the day, you punch the clock, you go home. Let me run through this. So... Watch TV, mm -hmm. lights go off, look at Blofeld, mm -hmm. don't eat or go to the bathroom. Oh, no. And how long is the workday? 12 hours. <sighs> All right. I'm on board. Yeah. Oh, also, there's uh, an egregious drug test. I'll be right back. <laughs> and scene. 
Um, so Madeline Swan is like, you are crazy. And that's where he, you know, starts showing her the, the, this video. No, wait, I've got something I want to show you, Miss Madeline Swan. I think you'll find it very interesting. And it's the video of Bond and Mr. Swan, the dad, uh, and the crows. Yeah. Not the black crows, just the bird crows. And Bond starts screaming, Hey, you turn that off. You turn that off right now. Hey, Madeline Swan. Don't look at that video. Look at me. Not Madeline Swan. Look at the video. Don't listen to him. Look at me. You know what? Nope. Look at these. Look at these blue eyes. It's like swimming in twin pools. I'm not gonna play it again, Madeline Swan. This is a one and done. You're on time to see it. Doesn't my head look like if a Trump, a tree trunk grew ears? Huh? If you look at the video, Madeline Swan, I'll give you another dress just like the one you're wearing now, but in purple. Oh. Don't look at that. I'm getting a pre-murder boner. You you definitely want to check this out. This is a, an anticipatory murder boner. This is like watching a dinosaur be born. It's so rare. <laughs> it really is. It's like seeing a bald eagle have sex with one of them don't tread on me snakes. So Madeline Swan, she slowly turns and looks at James Bond and she has the realization that Bond was there at the time of her death, although I think she already knew that. And then in the background, she hears... Katow! And she flinches. James Bond's quite upset. And they immediately just knock him out. They're like, kunk. Bo, I have a question for you. Have you ever seen the Muppet movie? The original Muppet movie? <laughs> I think we both know the answer to this, Chad. But yes. Because the makers of this James Bond film, they also saw the Muppet movie. Because do you remember the scene with Mel Brooks <laughs> as Professor Craftsman? Sure. Ribbit. Ribbit. Yes, of course. Right. What was his character's nefarious plan with Kermit the Frog? Uh, he had a machine what sucked uh, the personality and memories out of a person so he could make Kermit the perfect figurehead for Doc Hopper's frog legs. It's an electronic satablectomy. Satablectomy. It's going to turn his brains to guacamole. That's what's going to happen here. I said, hold on to your hat. But that's what happens in this movie. I mean, that's as good an explanation as Blofeld ever gives. Because he's basically <laughs> like, no, we're just going to drill into your head and that makes your brain weird. You're going to forget all about Dr. Madeline Swan. Right. Why are you doing this? I mean, unless it's just some sort of torture. I guess for fun, he's, he's going to die not knowing your name. When James Bond was a boy, his parents died, and my father took James Bond into our home. But my daddy liked him better than me. So I killed my father with an avalanche, and I faked my own death, and now I'm blowfouled. Also, cuckoo. <laughs> he tells some story about how cuckoo birds kick the babies out of the nest or something. Like, all right. And Bond's like, hey, you know any other bird calls? That one's pretty good. <laughs> you know what I remember? <laughs> How much I like impressions, especially of birds and other things like cars and machine guns, like that fella from them Police Academy movies. When I first saw this movie, and they don't ever call him Blofeld um, up until the very end. And then when you see the white Persian cat, it really hit me the wrong way of like, wait, that's what's going on in this film? That he's now Blofeld? Yeah, because when when Bond calls him Franz Oberhauser, he's like, Franz Oberhauser died a long time ago. My name is 
Ernst Stavro Blofeld, because you can give yourself any name. <laughs> so Bond is strapped into this chair like Kermit the Frog, and this robotic arm comes down with a very tiny drill and drills into the side of Bond's head, and Bond screams and yells, and then he's able to somehow, they, even though they strapped his arms down, they can still touch each other behind him, so he frees his watch, and then Blofeld says, I'm gonna suck out all of his memories, and he'll won't remember you at all. And so the drill goes into Bond's head, and then Madeline Swan runs over to him, and she's like, oh, James Bond, oh, James Bond, please don't die. I love your murder bonus so much. And then Bond wakes up and he's like, oh, I recognize you anywhere. You're the girl that was on that train. And then he kind of slips her the watch and he goes, hey, one minute, that thing is gonna go off with a bang. Wink, wink. Wait, when you say it's going off with the bank, are you saying that it is going to make loud noises? Look, I went through the same thing. You really got to work with me here. So when I say one minute, it's probably about 50 seconds right now. So the minute starts as soon as I walk away with the watch, or do I need to press a button to make the, the 60 seconds start? This is a nice watch. Oh, uh, 30 seconds. I'll tell you what, just throw that watch at Blofeld. Which one is Blofeld? Is he the cat? Hello, kitty, kitty. I think he is the cat. So she tosses this alarm watch over at Blofeld and it explodes. Luckily, the explosion hits the computer, which releases all of the straps that are holding James Bond to this chair. Or he just hulks out of it or something, because that happens later in the movie too. And then he gets a gun from a guard and it's he and Madeline Swan trying to make their way to the helicopter. To a helicopter. It makes as much sense as him finding that airplane earlier. It's like, hey, it's a helicopter over there. We've talked about this before. It's a James Bond movie. I assume there's a helicopter somewhere around. It's like some video game. There's a health packet and a gun always around the corner. Yeah, no, you've got to go down the stairs and then behind the place. I <laughs> just got a helicopter and this little health pack gonna get me back on my feet. They're just murdering guards as they go. And this is, again, kind of the Bond I like where, like, these dudes present no threat. As soon as they appear, they are dead. Yeah, he's punching people. He is shooting people easily 100 yards away with one shot and taking them down. Yeah. It's pretty well executed. It really is. And then he blows up some pressure tank and finally some shit is exploding. Dude, this compound blows up like the Dixie Boy truck stop. Yes, that is a good comparison. While the place is blowing up behind him, he and Swan make their way to an official James Bond brand helicopter. And he's like, hey, let's go home. Now tell me where that is and we'll go right away. And the whole world explodes behind him. And then he says, wait a second, it's not over yet. And because you can kind of see a couple of SUVs moving away from the explosions on the ground as Bond flies off. That is the explanation as to how did Blofeld get out of that. Oh, did you see in the way background those two little SUVs driving off? He was in one of those. All right, nerds, are you happy now? Back in London, M shows up at a safe house with Agent Tanner, the guy from the boat earlier, and Q is there. And they go inside that safe house and they find James Bond waiting for them, along with Dr. Madeline Swan. And Bond says, Oh, I killed a guy named Blofeld. He used to be my brother. And his best friend is that guy C that works for you. And tonight, the intelligence system goes online. And we gotta stop it and wrap up this movie, all right? M is like, that sounds good. But first, we have to stop this surveillance system from coming online. Who's going to do that, James? And he's like, hey, nerd, Q, he'll hack his system and stop it somehow. Because that's what he does. So don't worry about explanations or nothing. He's just going to stop it. 
fine. And as they leave, Madeline Swan is like, you know what? I am done with all of this movie. It has gotten very, very stupid. So I'm going to leave. I will be walking away from you, James Bond. You will not see me anymore in this film at all. It is bittersweet. I will miss you and your your gruff voice and your motor burners and your, your gun and your punching of Dave Bautista's. It has been a pleasure seeing you. Goodbye. Au revoir. Farewell, James Bond. Goodbye. All right. Bye, him. I am not coming back. James Bond, I am leaving. Is her name Moneypenny? As M and Q and Bond are are taken off to save the day, a truck crashes into their car. He gets T-boned by this big pickup truck. And James Bond is thrown into the back of the security van, like they put a sack on his head, toss him in there. And when they look around, though, M is missing. I'm assuming he's dead. Like, he just got thrown from the car and is in a crumpled pile of flesh and tears and sadness. I wish we had seen that Batista shot where it's just Ray Fiennes on the ground and his hand starts to move i'm like oh he said a lot <laughs> and for a moment i thought that the guy who abducted bond was mr hinks he kind of looks like hinks but i was like maybe dave bautista was like yeah i'm not showing up to film another day right like all right just get his you know stunt double in here look already saved your crappy movie i'm done all right or the end of end of act two i'm out of there tanner q and money penny they're in a separate suv and they come driving around the corner and then shots start popping off and then we see M cleverly hiding right over there he's right there he's in suspenders tanner he drives over and uh, he picks up M. So the bad guys take Bond out of the back of this van and Bond still wearing a hood over his head and his wrists are zip tied. He just disarms and beats up these two goons and then he shoots them both because he's got a license to kill. So he just frees himself magically. It's a ta-da moment. All right. So let me ask you a couple of questions, Chad, as Uh our resident James Bond expert. Oh, God. When he goes into this building after hulking Uh out of his bonds and stealing their guns, he enters this place and it's the old MI6 building and it's got the names of people who died in service of the country. Yes. And somebody has written his name on there. Along with providing spray-painted arrows and whatnot along the way. Like a video game. Yes. Is Blofeld playing such 3D chess that he was like, I'm gonna send some men and they're gonna capture James Bond. But because he's a super spy, as soon as he gets here, he's going to break out of the zip ties and take off the hood so he can see all the stuff that I spray painted around. And I know that James Bond is not the smartest spy in the world. So as he enters the MI6 building, I will write his name on the wall to let him know he's in the right place. And then as he looks around, I shall place a series of red arrows directing him to come up and find me so that I can make my final villainous speech to him. Also, if he hits the left bumper they'll glow that's pretty much it so bond comes in he sees his name like hey james bond that's a pretty common name but it's also minor (laughs) what are the odds okay there's a red arrow down there maybe i should follow it so we cut away from (laughs) super spy james bond following the fucking arrows left by the villain it's like a couple of children eating candy (laughs) on their way to a witch's house and then c arrives at his fancy new headquarters like barking at somebody on the phone and like 
You need to find M. But uh, surprise, surprise, M is hiding in his office. Q also has snuck in and he's in at a desk shutting down all the data stuff. Yeah, he's hacking. That's what they do. They hack. Right. I like the <laughs> fact M says, my quartermaster here is taking care of your surveillance program. And I was like, oh, Q stands for quartermaster. No, it always stood for quartermaster. I never knew that. Then C pulls a gun as he's given this speech about like, oh, M, you're so stupid. Democracy is stupid too. M must stand for moron. <laughs> and then he shoots at M, but the gun just clicks. And M says, now we know what C stands for. Careless. And then he opens his palm to reveal all the bullets from C's gun. We all know that C stands for cookie. And that's good enough for me, Chad. So we move <laughs> over to the an old the, back to the MI6 building, where Blofeld has also taken the time, Chad, to set up all kinds of like yarn webs and shit, and put pictures of James Bond on targets. And how much time did he have to decorate all this shit i thought the same thing at first but i think all of the red string is the wiring to blow up the building but i will say that him printing out photocopies of james bond's head and then attaching them to shooting range targets and then having them set up in such a way that they would all spin around at the same time as james bond walked in to really be an attention to detail that i did not expect this is like when in the bad movie Electra, Jennifer Garner, is, or maybe it was in Daredevil she did this, but Jennifer Garner is doing all the Electra acrobatics on her roof practicing. Yeah, I remember And that. she has put pictures of Ben Affleck on all of them. Take this! It's like villain decorations. Like you call them up and they're like, yeah, we could do the lovers package or we could do the face your own demons package. <laughs> Time checking our movie. We got five minutes until this information system goes online. Yeah. And then James Bond passes what looks like to be these white holding cells down in the basement of the old MI6 building. And again, whoever printed off those pictures of James Bond and put them on the shooting targets, they also printed out all of the dead guys from the earlier Daniel Craig James Bond movies and taped them up in each room. I don't know what message this is meant to send to James Bond. And then in one of the rooms, we also see Judy Dench's face stuck to a wall i'm like well she wasn't a bad guy why is she there i'm getting mixed messages bo where's the thematic consistency i have the same problem here like are you trying to show me like the these are the faces of all the people i've killed but i didn't kill him it's like blofeld saw the dark knight and went fucking nuts maybe they just printed out all of the headshots in the folder titled dead people <laughs> right hey look when we're doing a rush job sometimes you're gonna get some thematic inconsistency <laughs> it just comes with the territory now you give me 48 hours we're gonna set you up a a good layer but we're doing this in like three hours tops bond comes up around the corner where he sees blofeld in this room and bond fires his gun two three times and the bullets bounce off this invisible bulletproof glass he immediately already has this milky eye and cool scar how long has it been well that was from the watch bomb right but when was that like two hours ago he's dedicated to taking down james bond again it's this wolverine he healing that these people have where it's just like i know this should have taken off half my face and you should see stitches but i heal fast I also don't get colds. Blofeld walks up to the glass and there's this reflection of Blofeld's face against James Bond's face. And I don't know if they're trying to do this mirror image, two sides of the same coin. Blofeld is his Moriarty or his Joker to his Batman or whatever they're doing here. None of this makes any goddamn sense because the very second he sees Blofeld in the movie, he should have been like, Hey, everyone, that's my brother. That's the guy I grew up with. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Get this. 
That this guy right here, the villain of our movie, that's my brother. Instead, during this scene, Blofeld says, I've taken everything you've ever loved. And also, James Bond, someone you love is hidden in this building. I'll give you a hint. It's Dr. Madeline Swan. Save yourself, James Bond, or live with the pain knowing that she's dead. And you have three minutes to find her. Which, number one, Bond doesn't even know if she's hidden in this building. Right. And if I was an evil villain, again, if I was an evil villain, I would tell Bond he had five minutes and then blow everything up in three. And I know that that probably breaks some sort of Geneva convention of evil villainy code of conduct. But what can I say, Bo? I'm evil. Yeah, I think that Bond makes a, a dumb choice here. But, it, you know, as Blofeld leaves, he says, Bo, I really put you through it, haven't I, James? But I guess brothers know how to push each other's buttons. <laughs> and then he hits the button to start the timer on the bomb and then he fucks off bond is now rushing around the ruins of this building trying to find madeline swan yeah to make a long story short he finds her right and blofeld takes off in a helicopter of course we have some cuts here where we see q finishing his hacking m is marching c out of the office like taking him in custody but when m gets distracted by the helicopter that blofeld is in c ends up turning and trying to fight him for the gun in that struggle m ends up with the gun and also c ends up shattering this guardrail around this giant ramp that runs up the uh kind of inner perimeter of this building poor construction the safety glass is not up to spec here somebody's really gonna get a strongly worded email c ends up kind of tottering on the edge M does not make to save him at all. It's just like, man, someone's going to have a bad day. Uh... Yeah. So C falls and and lands with a, a sickly thump. Money Penny is like, hey, I think Bond's in that old haunted spy building across the street. Cut to James Bond and Madeline. They leap off of a ledge in this busted up building and they fall about, what, eight or ten stories and they land in a trappy safety net down below. That's convenient. Sure. And then they run downstairs where earlier we saw this. There is a functioning boat that's just resting in the, like, the water garage conveniently. So they hop in the boat they zip out of the mi6 headquarters as the timer counts down and the place blows up bond and dr madeline swan are in the boat bond starts shooting his gun at blofeld's helicopter which with his last bullet he hits it the helicopter crashes and lands on a bridge and this landing is a real sully sullenberger type of a landing for this helicopter pilots kudos to him for putting this chopper down on such a narrow bridge unfortunately i think he dies in the crash but look r.i.p nameless helicopter pilot yeah i was gonna say any crash you can walk away from or any landing you can walk away from but uh he did not blofeld though staggers out of this wreckage because of the wolverine ability oh dear no bother bond rushes over to him you know has a gun trained on him and so forth and everybody's there mq money penny dr madeline swan they're all watching our big finale happen as there's a burning helicopter in the background right and m reveals that his name is mallory and agent mallory <laughs> mi6 <laughs> It's like Marion Wayne. He tells all the soldiers there to stand down and everybody's watching whether or not Bond is going to shoot this dude. Everyone, put your weapons down. Cast your attention to this man's crotch. You're about to see a murder boner be born. Murder boner, motor burner, motor boner. Boo, I don't want to die, but that is impressive. 
but Bond, of course, doesn't shoot him, which closes the circle on our half-baked theme of the movie, that a man can choose not to kill as well as kill. And then Bond says, hey, I got something better to do than to shoot you. And then he throws his gun in the river. It's like, hey, look, I understand what you're trying to get at, but that costs money. <laughs> That's That ain't your gun. <laughs> what if that falls into the hand of a child? Right. Or a criminal. Washes up on the banks of a criminal asylum, you know? He embraces Madeline Swan and... They walk off, fade to black, movie's over, but not really. We fade back in, and we see Q sitting at his desk working alone. The freight elevator comes down, opens up. James Bond emerges. Bond says, Hey, Q! Good morning. I have come here to steal another call. We then cut to James Bond in the original Aston Martin, which has apparently been completely restored over the last seven days. Dr. Madeline Swan is by his side. The James Bond music kicks in officially. Bond and Madeline Swan drive off into the fog and rainy streets of London. Fade to black again. Roll credits. The end. Thank goodness. I wish they would never make another Bond film. This would be great if it was like, okay, the end of this movie is he meets Madeline Swan and they drive off together and that's it. I gotta tell you, Madeline Swan is in the 25th, as is Blofeld. He's back. <laughs> Baby, no time to die. So, Bo, we have found ourselves at the end of a season. Yes. And as we always do, yes. we rank our movies from top to bottom or bottom to top. I would like to hear how you would rank the six James Bond motion pictures that we reviewed on this season of Pick 6 Movies. Okay, so let me preface this by saying, here's what I'm looking for out of a James Bond movie. Okay. I want it to be as close to a Golan Globus canon film as possible. <laughs> okay. Because that's what I want. I want crazy action. I want ridiculous shit. So that is where I live. All right. From worst to best the worst of the season for me on her majesty's secret service okay next goldfinger okay the third worst of the season this film specter keep going next is die another day okay by no means a good movie but some decent action here and there next is a view to a kill hometown favorite christopher walken and the top of the pops here chad license to kill the james bond movie in which there are crazy semi-missile stunts and a dude getting eaten by a shark. That's what I want from these movies. Okay, but I'm going to read you my list uh, from worst to best. Uh-huh. My worst is License to Kill. Sure. <laughs> followed by A View to a Kill, then Die Another Day, uh-huh. Spectre, Goldfinger, and my top is On Her Majesty's <laughs> Secret Service. So if I did the math correctly on this, our lists are the exact opposite. Yes, they are the mirror images of one another. <laughs> Let me explain my rationale. I put on Her Majesty's Secret Service at the top of the list because I adore the story of George Lazenby. So that's got a soft spot in my heart. I put Goldfinger second because it is such an iconic film of setting the stage for all the other movies. Spectre number three, just because of the production quality and the acting. I put Die Another Day at number four because it's less creepy than view to a kill and then finally i like the villain in a view to a kill because of uh, christopher walken's performance and then lastly license to kill because it's not even a james bond movie it's just some guy chasing after uh, cocaine dealers i rank them in order of likelihood of me watching them again i think if that's the case it was a six-way tie for you but i'm more likely to watch license to kill than i am Goldfink, which is i know crazy but that's you told me that hey in no time to die that the new felix lighter gets half eaten by a giant alligator well now you pique my interest easy enough so Bo, would you care to tease next season's theme which since i chose 
the theme for this torturously long season of James Bond films, it is up to you to surprise me with what you want to talk about for the next six episodes. Well, Chad, I was thinking, hey, what could be worse than a bunch of spy movies? What what came to me was, hey, what about a bunch of made-for-cable channel uh, original movies Mm -hmm. in a season we are entitling Once in a Lifetime, in which we are going to be looking at a uh, a panoply. Of Dave and Bird films? No, of Lifetime original movies. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Our first to celebrate the holidays. Chad, yes, is a delightful little Christmas confection uh-huh. by the name of A Very Nutty Christmas. Is it about people shitting? No, uh, and it's not about balls. The clumps. Please be clumps. Please be clumps. <laughs> it's it's a, a, a nutcracker figurine, what comes to life. And murders people. No, he just wants to be loved, and uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch is there to help. What's the runtime on this movie? That's going to be a cool hour and 20 minutes. Half a specter. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds fantastic. So come back and see us in two weeks' time for a little bit of holiday cheer. Holiday jeers, Chad. Jeers. <laughs> Big Six Movies. As always, like, rate, review. We love to hear from you. We love to see reviews. We love to hear back. You can find us on social media and Instagram and da, 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 and all that other good stuff. So, Bo, any final thoughts on Bonds, James Bonds? Yeah, it, it was educational to kind of see a broad spectrum of these movies over the years. I think it's best I leave it at that. <laughs> we will see you on two weeks' time as we review a bunch of Lifetime movies. So, Pick 6 Spot, what did you think about that episode? The show was very surprising. May I say something to you directly? Pick 6 Spot to human number 2. Absolutely. This is not based on any data or empirical analysis, but I want to say one thing. Don't quit your day job anytime soon. (laughs) You know what? That really sounds like my mom. You know what, Pick 6 Spot? I love you.